I want to take a quick second and talk about how you can support our show. I believe this is the most honest way that I can connect with you, the listener, and put it in front of everyone. You can support our show for as little as 99 cents a month. We release four podcasts a month, all at an average length of about an hour. That means you are supporting us at just 25 cents an hour. That's a, that's cheaper than the dollar menu. I think it's safe to say that we provide more value than that. And if you learn anything from our content, please consider becoming a supporter today with the link in the description of any episode or on the website at feedingcuriosity.net. And with that, thanks for listening and please enjoy the show. Welcome to Feeding Curiosity. Wait a second. Welcome to Feeding Curiosity. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Audible. Audible is an amazing service. If I'm not listening to a podcast, I'm listening to Audible. And Audible... For me, I, you know, if it wasn't for the podcast themselves, I would never even, like, give them a chance because I was, like, listening to a book. That's cheating, right? Wrong. It's actually better. And last week, I mentioned Joe Amber Crombie's The First Law series, which is a three-part fantasy novel. Th- the thing about The First Law series is that it comes to life because of the narrator in the audiobook. I really enjoyed the way the narrator changed his voice and, you know, basically gave life to the story more than just the the you would do if you were listening to the or reading the book yourself, right? Because you can't, I mean, and unless you're really skilled, that you're not going to be able to create voices and all those kind of cool tidbits there. And so for me, when you have an audiobook like that, it's just really fun to be able to have a, a different sensory experience with a book, right? Because it gives you more profound and kind of like you get to understand the characters a little bit more and kind of make this almost movie inside your head as you listen to the story. So with that, everyone, head over to audibletrial.com forward slash feeding curiosity. That's audibletrial.com forward slash feeding curiosity to start your free membership today. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. I'm your host, Eric Wenzel, as always, and today's episode is actually a kind of a special one. I was reached out by a former classmate of mine. His name is Brian Peters. And I'm not going to go through his bio, which is in the description below, because I want to give a little backstory on how I know him and then how this podcast kind of fell into place to be as amazing as it is. So Brian and I go back to our community college days. About three years ago, we took a few classes together. And he was one of those people that seemed to know software really well. We were doing a microprocessors class and a digital class prior to that. And we had this project that we had to basically take at the end. We used a Arduino microcontroller and we had to make a project with it, anything we wanted, right? And it was up to us how much time we wanted to put into it and all that kind of thing. And so he made this awesome project with using um, the microcontrollers from old game consoles. They're about 8-bit or 16-bit, which is a, basically just a memory uh, usage of it. And then he also used the Arduino microcontroller as a sound device as well. And then he used all of his knowledge of music and things like that, which we fill in the gaps with this podcast, and made these really cool MIDI-controlled uh, sound synthesizers, basically. And it was really cool. And whenever I would talk about any of the guys over at NIU when I go to class, I would always talk about how this guy would do this project, and it was like really cool, and like once you really dedicate your time to it, you can really make amazing projects that, you know, seem out of this world. And so Brian, he reached out to me and he's like, I listen to all your podcasts and I really would love to be on it. And I have all this like crazy story that I'm sitting here. I'm like, holy crap. <laughs> Hopefully I have the record button, you know, going through this podcast. And it's actually our longest podcast at over two hours long. So 
this is an amazing one, guys, and I really hope you enjoy it. And, you know, the more I do these podcasts, the more I, stuff like this happens, right? Where your coincidences add up and all of a sudden I'm sitting across from someone that has an amazing story and I don't know why I'm the one who gets to record it, but here we are anyways. And it's just really fun and I'm glad I get to share it with everyone here. And I want to just give a sh- huge shout out for, to Brian for, for coming out and doing this podcast with me and just being an amazing guest and... And one more thing before we get started, I didn't want to say, too, we're going to start the podcast with uh, Brian Peters. He, he creates music. And so he, he mentioned in the podcast a a very long album he created. For, it took him 17 years and he just released it. And it's called Stenography. And uh, I hope I pronounced that correctly. And we're going to start the podcast with his intro and then end the podcast with the outro of the song so that it kind of encapsulates this podcast with his idea of creativity and how, you know, with the title of this podcast being, you know, left, right, and somewhere in between is, is our attempt to basically encapsulate the podcast in, in what his vision of the world is and try to, to just be unauthentically or authentically him as much as possible. So with that, everyone, one more time, Brian Peters with Stenography.
Hello, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Feeding Curiosity. We're joined by Brian Peters. And this time, it's actually a little... This is a coincidence, honestly, that you're honestly on here. Like, So we knew each other from Harper College about probably two years ago now, roughly? Uh, three. Yeah. Three years? Okay. So we were doing a microprocessor class together. And so if you want to pick up and kind of explain what, how, what you did in that class and stuff like that. Oh, yeah. Well, we were, yeah, we were in two classes, actually. We were in digital. Yeah, we did then, the first one. And then one. microprocessors after that. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, we sat at the same lab table for, for microprocessors. And, um, yeah, I don't know. You made, like, a, like a pretty strong uh, impression on me, like, just with your, your work ethic and, mm-hmm. and how much you were kind of making, a, like, a tremendous effort to understand the material like, yeah. really thoroughly. So it was, like, I felt like we were kind of generally talking. I think we were, like, always, like, talking to, you know, like, our other lab partners, like, yeah. explaining stuff, but it was kind of, like, mirrored across the right. table, like, a lot. So, um, yeah, we did... Um, we were learning all about uh, first, you know, digital circuits and then uh, assembly and then went on to Arduino stuff. Yeah, C, microprocessor yeah, stuff. Yeah, microprocessor stuff. So, um, yeah, and um, I just recently kind of got back in contact with you and, mm-hmm. I've, you know, listened to, like, I actually listened to every single one of your podcasts. I know, I couldn't believe that when you when you came back and you were like, oh, yeah, I listened to all of them. I'm like, whoa. Yeah, well, <laughs> it was just like after, like, just after I kind of figured out what the concept was you know, right, behind yeah. them and, you know, and what you were trying to do, it suddenly was this incredibly like valuable thing that you know cool. just for my own life personally it was mm-hmm. like wow i really want to you know learn about this stuff yeah. and hear about these other people and their their takes on the world and mm-hmm. especially people like a lot of the people you've had as you know guests and stuff are people who've had really different lives than right, yeah. you know like different backgrounds and it's like incredibly uh, incredibly just interesting and important to me to understand those people. Right. You know, and to not, like, sort of just write them off as, like, oh, you're you're this. You're different, right? Yeah, you're <laughs> different, and I don't get it, and that's weird. You know, like, I think, yeah. like, weird is the pigeonholing, and especially the word weird is, like, the most unhealthy way to think of mm-hmm. anything in the world, because it's just saying, I don't want to try to understand right, something. Right, yeah. You know, and you just write it off. But, um, so, yeah, I was, like, incredibly fascinated with the people so far, so hopefully... Someone who's very different than me will get a similar experience. <laughs> I'm pretty sure they will, especially because just your background is, is is probably on par, if not more so, technical than I am. Oh. You know, just just with the the you know what you sent me after our e- initial emails of like your background and stuff. So I don't know where you want to start specifically with that. Yeah, um, I mean, I guess I could just start like at the beginning. Yeah, but, um, that, I went to I went to I grew up here in the north northwest suburbs. Um, you know, middle class um, and. I went to private school for kindergarten, and my parents pulled me out. They didn't like, you know, just kind of how it was going. It didn't seem to mesh with my mm-hmm. learning style. So I was actually homeschooled from first grade until eighth grade. Oh, wow. Um, and, you know, I kind of, in doing that, I, I developed, I don't know if I developed a specific way of learning. I certainly was given the opportunity to learn in a way that was really conducive to, to my own yeah, tailor, sort of mental tailored processes. Yeah, tailored to you, Yeah, basically. it was really tailored to me. But, um... I think, like, um, my parents got me, like, an IBM PC, like, an 8086 in 1991. Oh, wow. Like, the old, you know, like, the first, like, with first, the First the wave? <laughs> yeah, like, the, it was like, literally an IBM PC was the name of it. Oh, wow. All of them, like, that was the name, PC wow. was the model number, and that's where it all came from. Like, so, it had, like, the monochrome green monitor, you know, like, and it, I remember mm-hmm. ours had, like, a hotel menu, like, the, the check-in menu burned into yeah. the screen. That's insane. And, like, the five and a quarter inch drive and, like, a 20 megabyte hard drive and, like, a yeah. four megahertz processor. So, like, I started learning... Kind of just, um, that would have been like, well, it's like six or seven. I started just kind of fooling around mm-hmm. with with computers. And then, 
you know, like my dad is an electrical engineer, so like we had oh, okay, a so whole bunch of you know electronics. You had the bubble. Yeah. yeah, you were inside of that world. In that world, yeah. Up. So he gave me lots of little parts and things mm-hmm. to to build circuits and stuff. So I kind of developed this just independent endeavor to to learn technology based stuff, you know. And um, I think I was like programming in uh, GW Basic, which is this like the Microsoft version of Basic that came okay. with DOS. 1.0 wow. or something. So you're, you're looking at the command line prompts. Like yeah, it was all command line. And then like I was doing, I was programming assembler with this this one uh, program called Edlin that, that was with the first DOS where you just you could just write, you couldn't even back up, it didn't have like a word processing thing, you just had to enter in op codes oh, in, wow. in a row. Um, so like, it was the mo- it was like, I feel great though because I like learned stuff from this like very fundamental yeah, point, I mean, you know, got- I didn't come in with these high level languages, mm-hmm. but and I think that was that's like really integral to to how I learn things is really yeah. like from the ground up and yeah, not building from up the top down the platform. Uh, but it, yeah, I just started kind of learning. I remember I'd go to the library. I think for my entire like up until adulthood, I went to the library constantly and just checked out as many things as I could, as many wow. books because this was kind of pre-internet. Right. Know, there was yeah. this, I was really into this thing called they were called BBSs, bulletin board systems that mm-hmm. were like modems. You'd call up somebody's house and then. Do stuff on this like little server, and then you you know hang up, and someone else would call, and it's so, like you'd you'd have this like lapse. There was no real time anything, but yeah. you had this you know message boards and stuff. So I was there weren't. I guess my point is there weren't books, and there weren't all these resources like there are today for yeah, for, for learning. For so coding, the, yeah. For, I mean, there's just so much stuff out there today, which is amazing. But um, so I remember just going to the library and you know getting books and kind of learning independently. But the the big thing I think being homeschooled that was um, important to me was I I tend to learn really slow but incredibly thoroughly okay is my my learning style and you know and I I got to I didn't really realize other people learned differently until I went back to school and like when I went back uh, I went back in the middle of eighth grade and I was like totally baffled. It was like an incredibly alienating experience, but in a way you wouldn't think. Like the socialization was fine because when I was homeschooled, I was in all these like homeschool orchestras and art classes and theater groups. Right, like, so I you're still had tons of people socializing yeah. around. You. So I was like, I was very normal in that sense. But it was like suddenly, like eight periods, you know, like all, all these like quick, you know, rapid fire different subjects. And when I was oh. when I was homeschooled, we'd actually spend like many days on a specific subject without switching off of it so we'd like you know monday through wednesday this week we just happened to just stay on math and you kind of got in that that mental place where you set up all these you're immersed in it more more thoroughly yeah Yeah, you set up all these like abstract concepts around you you know kind of like i know like programmers do that a lot where you kind of set up all the pieces of what you're doing you know in your mind and they just stay there you know Mm -hmm. if you don't really tear them down um so I think, like, the actual return on investment of time when you dedicate, like, a tremendous, like, larger period of time to something is is much higher. Because I remember in the thing I was so surprised about going back to public school was, like, the first 15 minutes of class would be kind of either goofing around and, right. then, like, pulling out your homework and going over the homework then. And then, you know, there'd be, like, 10 minutes of learning. And then, like, you'd be getting ready for the bell, like, packing up your stuff, yeah. like, finding out what the next homework assignment was, and everyone would be trying to distract the teacher so they wouldn't be learning. Right. So it was, like, really, like, ten minutes of a subject per day, which I just didn't understand because no one else was, you know, really learning. But, you know, I, was, I think that that entire way of, of learning does ripple into the rest of your life. Yeah, absolutely. Um, because there's... And I, I noticed this, like, even, you know, as an adult with... You know, even going to school for, like, electronics and stuff, like, you know, if somebody says, like, okay, well, 
you know, current is equal to voltage divided by resistance. You yeah. Know, like, do you, do you understand? And you go, yeah. Like, everyone right. just says, yeah, yeah, I get it. But you just know what they said, and you can, like, repeat it. Do you right. understand it's, like, a linear relationship? And do you understand, you know, that the voltage is across two points? Do you understand what all these things right, yeah. do and all the implications the of them? And then, like, look at the equation and, like, move things around. And then, like, oh, so that means this. <laughs> you know, and and so many people just say, like, yeah, I I get it. And, and they just latch on to these keywords. But then when it comes time to actually apply it in some sort of way that requires a thorough understanding of something, they often can't. Like, I, I remember I met this electrical engineer who was, we were talking about the L in Chicago. Yeah, the, the train? Yeah. Yeah. And he was saying, like, oh, the, the rails are only 12 volts. I was like, what? You know, he was, he's like, they're 12 volts. It's the current that kills you. Okay. I was like, well, he's like, current kills. You know, you've heard that. Right. Cool. Yeah. We just talked like, about it. Just later. <laughs> I was like, well, yeah, but like your body to a low frequency AC signal like presents like 500 ohms like if it was 12 volts you wouldn't be making any current like that's you can't yeah. have the current like being induced across like a resistance without voltage so I mean it's the same as if you touch a car battery if it was 12 volts it would literally be the same mm-hmm. as touching a car battery and like they just didn't they are just like no current kills and you know and they're oversimplifying it in their brain, basically. <laughs> Not just oversimplifying. I mean, it was just yeah, just keywords. It was just yeah. this sort of un- this understanding of like hearing a keyword, and then thinking you understand it because you identify the word. Yeah, it's um, the book. It's the book learning. It's the it's learning the the highlighted text, so to speak, yes. and then regurgitating it, but not understanding the applicative side of it. And that's why, like, I think what why I brought up the the how we met each other in school is really important in this scenario because. Where we went to school, it had this really unique formatting, right? So what we did is, you know, we'd take lecture one day, and then the next day was lab. So two days, like every other day was you were learning one thing, and then the next day you were applying it. So you had this really deep conceptual understanding of how to do it. And like when I explained it to people, you probably heard it in the other podcast. It's like it was like the teacher would lay, it was like they were laying breadcrumbs down for us to be able to pick up and pull on, or like a thread, you know, to pull on, to go on our own, you know, explorations with it, because they're laying it down, you know, the track, so to speak, so well, that they, that you can just begin to connect the dots for yourself then, instead of just saying, you know, here, read this book, and then you'll get, you know, some baseline fluffy thing, and then you'll kind of understand it, but, you know, where does that lead you, right? Because you don't have that conceptual knowledge of like, oh, this is exactly what it's doing, like, for me, when I went back to, so when I switched to the four-year university and would go back to do, like, other, like, circuit stuff that was, like, we were already doing way more complicated things <laughs> than that. But I'm, like, you know, we, people wouldn't know where to, like, measure. Like, measure the resistance of X, you know, and then they wouldn't know where to put what lead to get current or voltage, you know, stuff like that. I know yeah. we're getting technical here, but I'm just saying, like, it's, all it is is, like, a meta-learning thing is what the point is. So it's just really interesting that you're saying that for, for your own because you're, like, able to have these two types of learning styles is like the the structured you know in school version of it versus your own self-tailored version which i think is really important to think because i think going forward because of how everything is scaling to some degree in the world we're but we're starting to like as the world gets more crowded and everything it's like we're starting to take a magnifying glass to to people and being like how do you function right that we're like you're starting to see like health become more of a personal health thing instead of like everyone take this pill to feel good or you know that kind of thing is going away right it's going to be like here's your personalized meal plans here's your personalized you know fitness routines here's your personalized you know uh, everything right and then it's hopefully one day it'll be here's your personalized learning profile because this is how you're going to get the most out of this 
yeah, to to fit what you're interested in or what you're just better at. Period, right? Because I I always think about it as weird as like to say like give a student like okay you got you know what is it 16 weeks in a college course to learn everything you can learn and then get an A, which means you excel in it, right? To me, it was like, especially like learning something like calculus, I was like, I didn't feel like I was proficient in calculus until I finished calculus two. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I was like, oh, I'm finally understanding how like the conceptual models of calc one then lead into calc two kind of thing. And I was like, you know, that took me <laughs> twice the time to figure out like where I was at kind oh, of. Yeah. And it, it's just like, you know, eventually what I would like to see is like you basically take different bar graphs of like where you're at in different subjects and be like, okay, you're doing really well in science, so you can move up faster in science, mm-hmm. but you're not doing as well as in reading, so you have to do, you you continue to excel at a slower, or progress at a slower yeah. rate, but you still progress, but you just don't have to stay on par with people that your age, you know, yeah. some sort of age stamping that is a requirement to stay competitive, I guess. Yeah, and like, I can't say enough good things about that program at Harper. I mean, that was, I was like blown away. That was a spectacular program and the, the program director and right, the, yeah. the, the teachers, it was just it was out of this world. But I've got actually, it's funny you mentioned kind of what you did a, little, a second ago. I've actually got a thing on my desk that's a picture of a tortoise and it says, I like myself. <laughs> and it's just, you know, obviously like the, the implication for it is, you know, like the tortoise and the hare, right. like in that story like the tortoise wins right you know like so slow and tedy yeah i mean like it's and everybody is different in all these different ways and it's it's really important i think to identify what your learning style is you know who you are as a person what your needs are in life and you know just being kind of honest with yourself you know and not trying to meet this sort of you know picture perfect you know thing in the world and i know that one of the themes that seems to be coming up a lot in this podcast is like the how awful like social media is which i agree (laughs) with entirely like Facebook just makes this sort of um, mandate to to portray yourself as this successful, yeah. like perfect person. Like I'm so happy, my life is great. Nothing bad happens to me. Look yeah. how fantastic I am. Like the whole Instagram culture, like especially Instagram. You know? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's so much even worse. But you would put a filter on your face, and you're smiling, and your you know your butt looks good or something. Yeah. <laughs> like, <it's, laughs> and it, none of it like talk is honest about like what. You know, what's going on in your life? What are yeah. the things that actually make you human? And, like, so if you don't think about that consciously, it's really easy to think that, like, you've got to hide all this stuff about yourself. You can't mm-hmm. let anyone the know. The shadows. That, yeah. Yeah, you've got all these this dark stuff that you can't, you know, let someone know that this, you know, it's it's really weird. But, um, but yeah, people don't question stuff in school when they hear it. And part of it is what I mentioned about, I think it goes so fast. You know, yeah, it kind of felt like somebody driving like a, a you know manual transmission and like not decide like holding on the clutch and not deciding what gear they want to be in where you're you're kind of like uh, like yeah. you know it's just they never caught traction and never actually you know took off um but part of it also i think is more systemic than than that and less incidental um like one example i i, I cite to people all the time is like in you know algebra in high school or whatever you're taught, you know, about imaginary numbers and complex mm-hmm. numbers. Yeah. And, you know, inevitably, somebody raises their hand and is like, what, what is this for? Yeah. <laughs> and almost every time I've ever heard that asked, the teacher said, I don't know. Yeah, I know. You just have to learn it. You'll need it later. They always <laughs> say, you'll need it later in college, you know, and they never say, like... Why? Yeah, they never explain what it's used for. And if you think about it, you know, really hard, and you don't understand... The applications for it later, it actually seems kind of... Silly. Silly, useless, <laughs> and wrong. Right. Um, 
you know, and I, like I remember, have you heard that uh, there's this great YouTube channel called Number File? Have you ever watched I it? I might have heard of it. Oh, it's just like math stuff all yeah. the time. But it was this really controversial episode they did about how if you add up uh, all the natural integers, uh, or not natural, the positive integers, mm-hmm. um, infinitely they equal negative one twelfth. And if you stop at any point, if it's not infinite, it's a huge number. It's the fact that if it's infinite, it equals that. And, you know, so a million that's people weird. are like, yeah, because that <laughs> violates what you're taught in school. And it's like, that's, there's no way that's true. But with, with string theory and stuff, they're actually seeing that those, these math concepts that you can reach with, you know, really high-level math actually are the answer in the universe. Like, you know, they're see, they see results <laughs> like that. They see these very small, finite results from these infinite sums. That's but weird. There was a so they made this episode and a million people got furious, even though like <laughs> anyone with like a you know graduate degree in math is like, no, that's true. But um, <laughs> but then they, they did they so they started interviewing people because people were so mad, they started interviewing all these teachers around the world and one of them they were just like, Okay, no, is this like real or is this some weird trick? Mm-hmm. And he his response was so perfect, he was just like, What's the square root of negative one? And it's like, you know you're taught, you know, that it's this thing, you know, that it's I. <laughs> yeah, And exactly. it's this thing, but you kind of know it's not a thing, but you use it to get an answer, and it, and, and then it, you know, it helps you solve things that are entirely in the, you know, the real numbers, you yeah. know, like that you, you just go out of it for a second to solve, and then you come back in. Yeah. And, but if you're not taught, like, what that is, and you're just taught this, like, kind of crap, and you don't question <laughs> it, and, and especially if you don't question it, but if somebody doesn't go along with your questioning and wants to figure it out with you and goes, that's an interesting question, I'm going to look that up, or I'm going to talk to somebody else I know, like, I'd, I'd like to know that too, you know, like, it, you just start going, okay, I will know the keyword, I know how to solve the problems, I know how to get mm-hmm. the A. Yeah, you know, exactly. You don't, you don't adopt the actual, <laughs> you know, genuine interest in it. Yeah. So I think that's where, you know, a lot of these things stem from. And there's stuff, there's stuff like that even in, you know, engineering, but, like, luckily... You know, like at least when I was learning this stuff, I'd you know hear something and then I'd think that doesn't really make sense. Like you know, like <laughs> a silicon diode drops zero point seven volts. Right. Yeah. Like, well, wait. Then how come? And you think all these scenarios. Well, wait, how does that? Work? No. And you, you're like, okay. So wait, you go up to someone and you're like, that's not true, is it? And they're like, no. It's it's just a really good way of teaching it at the beginning. And then like, then you're going to learn the piecewise method, and then you're going to learn the nonlinear method, and then you, <laughs> it just goes on and on. But as soon as they explain that, you're like, oh yeah, I don't feel like doing the nonlinear method. Right, you yeah. realize why it's so much harder and why you don't want to deal with it right, and why they teach it. And it gives you this sense of like, well, that gives you like the right answer most of the time, you know, right. in a normal circuit with the when the current and voltage are within a specific range, it usually is 0.7. So it's fine to just think that and it helps. Um, and it's a quick way of just like, solving it. Just for iterative process so you don't need to do the down yeah. and dirty to make it perfect because usually it just comes down to decimal places at that point. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not like it you know you don't have to do all the extra work i try to tell people like that too especially when i was in school or when i at the university is like you know people get really like worried about extra decimals after the thing i'm like you don't need to worry all i gotta do is worry about that first one because that's the one that matters the most for the most part like well even more so than that i think like in a lot of physics classes they've got this thing which is really great which is that the unit of your answer is much more important than yeah magnitude yeah actual the number and, and that's so and people are like why you know, I did the math right but it's like well you, you didn't even know what you were solving for like the, <laughs> you you know you gave this an answer in this unit and it's it's a you know derivative of that it's not even that unit you know like or it totally wrong you know yeah. so like and that again goes back to that same thing what are you what are you actually learning mm-hmm. you know what are you solving um, which is I think super important yeah so uh, during the process of being homeschooled and going through, you know, like up to eighth grade, I actually, because it was so well tailored to my learning style, mm-hmm. I started getting 
kind of further and further ahead because I was like understanding things really thoroughly oh, wow. and, and moving. And I actually was done with like senior year of high school when I was thirteen. And Whoa. like, no, you know, like just the normal classes, right? Not, yeah, like, not just, like some crazy, just the you know, base classes. Just, yeah, and it wasn't really because I was like some super genius or something. Mm-hmm. It was just because it was just it was very effective, very efficient. You had a better foundation, yeah. basically. And and everything, you know, as soon as if you, you know, it's like if you miss a day of school and then you have no idea. Like they teach one thing and you're always, but you're behind then for the rest of the semester because you mm-hmm. didn't learn that one thing. And you know, it just that never happened. You know, I stayed on something until I learned it, and mm-hmm. then when that foundation is super solid. As you add on to it, it's it's also really solid. But so I was like finishing up uh, senior year of high school uh, when I was about thirteen, and then I kind of yeah I could talk to my parents, and we just thought it'd be really odd, and kind of I'd end up maladjusted if I just went to college like the next year. Yeah, like thirteen or fourteen. Yeah, and I hadn't. I, there was all these things I wanted to do. Like I wanted to be you know a high schooler, like right, yeah. have like a life as a high schooler. Um, so I went back to public school, and like I said, the most the biggest thing was just the the learning style was was really different and it took me kind of a bit to adapt to that but I mm-hmm. also kind of just lost interest I mean I was redoing a lot of the same stuff because I already kind of knew it but yeah I was going to ask you like, how, what did it, like what did you make you take did you just, just like retake class I just, I just decided to retake I mean I got placement tested and but you know like I wanted to just be with people my age yeah and just I was just in like the you know generic like the highest level yeah for the gifted program yeah the district or whatever but um and of course like a lot of things like yeah math is like okay you know this material yeah that's that's that but but english or something like you could i mean Mm -hmm. if you're not learning like you know what a verb or a noun is you're talking about you know life things you're reading books and you're talking about them like so that's like (laughs) you're critiquing that's still 100 relevant even if you took english at that you know grade level like the second class is different books and different concepts different teacher different students that you're talking with discussions so like a lot of that was really i mean not i wouldn't say it was like redoing or i already understood it it was you know it was gaining uh additional insight into different things um, and, um, but I think along with kind of this chance to, to do that over and to have an easier time, I got a lot more focused on like music, first of all, you mm-hmm. know, and, th- and that actually stemmed from just slightly earlier. I was, um, I had like a little like software company that I started when I was about like 10 with another guy. Whoa. <laughs> like we were mostly, we were mostly doing like advertisements for those BBSs. Okay. And, um, and you know, just writing these little executable files that you'd put on the end of, you know, software you'd download and they'd just show the BBS like with these oh, okay. ANSI graphics flashing and stuff with their telephone number. <laughs> but we started getting into game development a little bit, like just right at the beginning. We want mm-hmm. to make this sort of isometric game that was kind of like Diablo before Diablo came out. Oh, you know, wow. It was sort of like kind of like a you know, RPG-ish sort of thing. We were like very, very fundamental. With, yeah. You know, like very, we did not get very far. But one of the things at that time that I was kind of tasked with doing uh, first, which the other guy I was working with was working on graphics, but uh, I got tasked with making like the music engine, the sound engine. Okay. So today, if you're making like a sound engine, it's just entirely engineering. It's just how do you recreate, you know, digital audio. Right. Yeah. Where they take but, microphones to the field and record sounds. Yeah. I mean, these. that's the recording. But even but the software to play it back is just playing back digital audio. Oh, you know? okay. And it's just memory management, and it's just it's an entirely, I mean, for a lot of people's ideas, boring. You know, it's just <laughs> it's just all technical stuff. But at that point, there was so little hard drive space and so little memory. Um, for, for development, there there really wasn't digital audio at that point, like in 1993. Mm-hmm. It was, music for stuff was done with these things called trackers, which was like kind of the same style that was done for the NES, Super Nintendo, like going forward all the way until like the PlayStation when they could finally put audio tracks on disc, on CDs. Oh, okay. You know, they would play the audio track on the CD while you're playing the game. Yeah. But before that, 
because uh, digital audio they didn't have they didn't have MP3s too, so it was all like right. uncompressed huge audio. Oh wow! I didn't even so think what you do that. is you'd sample you know like an instrument playing one note, you have a piano just going doop, and you just tell it you know okay well that's an A so. Mm-hmm. You understand, like, on a log scale, how you can make that, you know, a C or, you know, like an octave. Oh, okay. So it would just know the the amount to transition, you know, the to change the sample rate of the playback. Mm-hmm. Um, but in doing that, even to write the engine to play those, you had to understand music. Right, yeah, you at a fundamental level. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you had to know, like, what are the notes? Like, why, you know, how many are there? You know, like, yeah. what is, why do they, you know, not increase linearly? Why are they on a log scale? You know, like, it was all this stuff. So I kind of got, I found like a, I was at a garage sale and I found like a violin and uh, mm-hmm. for $15 and I bought wow. it and I was just like, I just started screwing around with it, just kind of learning. I got some books, you know, like just how to play, you know, Michael, Roy your boat ashore or whatever. The yeah. First, the, uh, you know, the intro song. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I just fell in love with it. I got like so obsessed with it. I never went back to making that game or the Wow. I just, I just, I just went off and you just tangented it off of it. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I didn't return to like doing game development until like three years ago. You know, I kind of got back into it, um, which is an important thing for me now. But at that time, I just got really into music. And at first, it was like classical music. I was playing in orchestras, mm-hmm. and you know, I was just like playing, practicing violin, you know, just a ton. And it was just that was kind of the the goal. You know, was to mm-hmm. be like a famous violinist or wow. at least a violinist in a successful orchestra. Right. Yeah. Um, so I was like in all these 14, 15 at this time? Yeah. This has been like, wow. yeah, right around crazy. beginning of high school. <laughs> or, or actually, this this was, um, I kind of got really into it, I guess, in like seventh grade. I was in like the McHenry County Youth Orchestra and the Schaumburg Youth Orchestra and like just kind of working my way up the, mm-hmm. the, the general part. Yeah, taking lots of private lessons and just working my way up to, to do that. Um, and then kind of right around when I went to high school, I got exposed to jazz music. Like mm-hmm. there was this uh, guitarist uh, from our town who was like a who ended up being like a very kind of well known jazz guitarist. But I went and saw him play, and uh, you know, and I remember I didn't know almost anything about jazz music, and someone said like, "Oh, it's all improvised." Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking like, "No, there's no way." Like at the time, I was thinking, "There's no way somebody could play that fast, that uh, interesting, that you know." Yeah, especially well, coming from an or- orchestral per- yeah. performance, you're yeah, like, and that's it was just, weird. <laughs> and I kind of didn't believe it, but then you know, so I started. I became curious about it, and I started, <laughs> you know, reading about it, taking classes about it, uh, listening to a ton of it. And jazz music is like a really interesting thing. It's like one of the only types of music, certainly that, if you don't learn about it first, it's kind of not good. Yeah. <laughs> like you listen to it, and it's just no, 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 no. You don't know what you're listening to, and it's right. just sort of this annoying. There's thing, so it, much going on. The rhythms yeah. are so fast, and yeah, I mean, and, and just the form. You have to know what the form is. You have to know like what mm-hmm. the you know what's really going on, and like in what context are they expressing themselves mm-hmm. um and even now I, i've you know i've grown up i've loved jazz music for you know uh, 20 years now but if i am like programming and put it on it's just horrible noise because it's, <laughs> it's not pleasant because you know, you're not tuned to the to the you know, like yeah you're not paying attention to it so it's just all this extra information all this detail all this noise that's just like oh god you know like I'm, and i kind of got i always used to try to only listen to music that i'd that i thought was artistically significant okay uh, for most of my life, and um, I think I really. Do you have any like favorite pieces? I'm sure someone out there would be like really interested in like. Uh, uh, like classical pieces. Yeah, anything, just, um, anything that you kind of. I just... really like um, Tchaikovsky's Pathétique, okay. uh, his Sixth Symphony, uh, which is just I've listened to so many hundreds of times. And we and... can link these two, so. That oh yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> and uh, this is a modern, uh, currently living composer named Ervo Pert, uh from Estonia, and he has a 
a piece uh, called Lamentate. It's a whole album, and and those two things I think I've probably listened to more than anything else. Wow, but okay. I do try to like one thing that I really try to avoid in all art consumption, which may not be a good thing, and I'm going to counter this in a second, but <laughs> is to avoid like comfort. Okay. Um, you know, comfort, uh, what's, what's, like, the word is, like, comfort food for food. Right. Trying to comfort music, I like guess. Like, genres? Is that what you mean? Not even genre, just stuff that you listen to that just makes you feel good. And I think a lot of people, like, mm. only have ever listened to music that way. Like, you listen to something, and it charges you up, it makes you feel happy, right, yeah. it makes you feel really good. But you're not really being challenged, mm-hmm. you know, from an artistic perspective. You're not, it's not doing anything for you other than kind of functioning as, like, a cup of coffee. Okay. So, yeah. so, you know, and recently, like, I finally realized, like, okay, if you're coding, if you're, if you're doing something that actually requires a lot of brain power, just listen to, like, techno or some, some repetitive right, yeah. thing that there really is nothing going on there, and it just kind of makes you, you know, just feel, like, awake more, and, and you can tune it out, and it's, nothing changes in it, it's just sort of It's like white there. noise, almost. Yeah. Yeah, is what it's it just is. yeah. But I think another thing that's uh, yet again countering in the other direction, uh, I think it's important to have like silence. That's another thing where I'm like, surrounded by stimulation now. Yeah, you know, and, absolutely. And um, where you you don't realize how much that desensitizes you. And I remember in 2007, I had finished like a whole bunch of different albums, and this one album I had been working on for a really long time. And I went to Europe, and I decided to not take like a disc man or, mm-hmm. or it was like little iPods back then. Oh yeah, did, I've been I didn't take anything in forever. <laughs> yeah, and um, I remember uh, I had I had bought a CD when I was there, and, and uh, after a few weeks of being there, not having heard any music. Mm-hmm. I bought a CD, and just before that, actually, I had I ran into this accordion player on this street corner, and having not heard music for two weeks, I just started sobbing. Like wow! And they were a fantastic player, but it was, you know, I don't have that response usually when I'm kind of surrounded by this yeah. overstimulation, and it was just like, oh my god, this is this is, I I, I just it, all these emotions came up, and not only that, but just cognitively, it was like, I understood why people made things. Yeah. I understood so much about myself I understood like why life is is just great and worth living Mm -hmm. and why you should do so many things in life and why you don't want to just kind of go through life trying to feel good yeah you know and not challenge yourself to grow and uh it was you know it was incredible so I mean I do take you know time a lot of effort to um to have just silence a lot of times that's a really important thing like yeah not have the tv on not have music on just there's a just thing that quiet. people are doing now. It's called Screenless Saturdays. So basically, oh, cool. you, you basically yeah. take your phone and you don't look at it for the entire day. You send like no emails after a certain time or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing, you might you might know this because you because you have more background in the sciences. But basically, you can turn your phone into a uh, the colorblind mode, so it turns off all the colors on it. I actually didn't know. You, no, I didn't know there was like yeah. a setting for that. So oh, okay. you, if you do the an accessibility, so there's a, in the settings, you can basically turn on accessibility mode. So if you triple click, if you have an iPhone, uh-huh. it'll turn to grayscale. Oh, that's so cool. And so what they've done is that basically by turning it to grayscale, all of those interesting colors and the notifications that, that all these software engineers have basically designed into to get that dopamine spike, yeah. basically go away once you remove the color because there's not as much flashing, there's not as much interesting eye-catching because you're less likely to be like, Oh, my phone's interesting when it's activated. Yeah, yeah, it's just sort of information so, then for so, you. So this is kind of like one of those things that I kind of do, and then I basically turn off all of my notifications. Except for yeah, you except, said except for text messages. Except for yeah. text messages and phone calls. Yeah. All of it else is there's no notifications that pop up on my screen and have to go away because 
as a type A person like me, I if I see one of those things, I have to get rid of it then. Yeah. Right then, or it'll bother me. Because every time I look at it, I'm like, ugh. Like, yeah. seething hate or something for it. <laughs> so it's funny that you brought that up. It's, it's, I think it's one of those things, like, when we brought up the social media stuff before, is, is you have to manage it actively, right? Because mm-hmm. the systems are there in place, and now it's up to the users to mitigate and manage the, the effects that they have on us as, as best as we can, right? It's like when someone drinks too much coffee, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you have to be able to, to not drink that as much coffee then because you're, you know, you're giving yourself, you know, that the, you, you have to know your own minimum dose or, or diminishing returns on those kind mm-hmm. of things. You know, manage yourself as much because someone's not going to be like, hey, you're doing something, you know, they're not going to yeah. hold your hand through these things anymore. Yeah. I, and kind of to... To that end, there's also like this sort of soundbite culture where you you not only are kind of overstimulated by all this stuff, but you you really need it to be changing constantly, mm-hmm. almost to 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 keep your attention in any way. Where something is like, okay, hit me in thirty seconds. Yeah, you know, exactly. Each, thing, each new like video that comes up on your social media feed, like you're not gonna watch like a, unless it's something you de- you are dedicated to, but you're not right. gonna watch like a ten minute video. You know, most people don't want to do that. And I think there's this huge thing that's been lost in our culture. Um, like when I was a kid, you know, and granted, I was, I'm talking about like the, you know, late 90s here. It was still like there was this, you know, like the CDs at Best Buy sort of yeah. culture, you know, like where you'd, you'd buy albums. You I know, mean, those and, are all gone now. Yeah, those are gone, you know, and the vinyl's making a comeback. And I actually grew up before that with vinyl. Like okay. I, I had records as a kid, but you used to just sit there, you know, especially vinyl, you'd have this big thing with all this art and all the liner notes inside, mm-hmm. you know, like, and you put it on. And especially vinyl, you have to stay there because, like, after 20 minutes, you got to flip it over. Oh, you know, right. A lot of times there's, like, four or there's, like, two whole, you know, discs. So you've got, you know, flip it over three times um, for to get all four sides. But um, but you just kind of sit there and you'd experience this with your full attention and you'd commit to... And it's a contained environment, right? Yeah. But, but you'd put this, like, commitment into the experience where you're mm-hmm. like, I'm going to commit an hour and a half to listen to this, you know this album mm-hmm. or whatever it was and it would have your full attention and it w- there wasn't like that much other stuff to kind of keep like making you feel like you should be doing something else right um, and there's so much more you can get out of any sort of art I think if you commit to it you know and dedicate actual effort and energy into appreciating it so like that was the thing that really fascinated me about jazz music was that it was it required that commitment too, you know, and it was this like incredibly what you know people call like a very high level art form, um, where it's there's very little comfort to it. It's entirely like an yeah. intellectual. Yeah, it's thing. like off key. There's a lot of different weird. Yeah, there's also yeah, avant garde like, stuff. Yeah, yeah. You, you really have to kind of stay educated to <laughs> in it to understand. It's ironic it. that I even have any like realm of understanding with it because I, as right here is like my electronic drum set right next to us, and I was teaching myself like music for a long time, mm-hmm. uh, just trying to play drums better, like technically, and like. One of the sections is, is jazz music, and the reason they, t- they tell you to, like, learn jazz drums is because you get those, like, weird, like, half beats, like the three-quarter beats or the, like, two-thirds. Like, there's weird where you have to fit in, like, a snare hit in between, you yeah. know, the main beats. So it's... And then, like, that was the first time they ever created fills where, you know, the drummer is able to create their own... Yeah, do you know, express themselves yeah, how they want. Their, yeah. Which is very much just what jazz is, right? Mm-hmm. And, is, as a, you know, a whole school of, of music. And, and so, as you're explaining this, it's, it's kind of funny that I even have... Because like, I, yeah. I don't view myself as a musician and I chose drums because, it, to me, it's, it's very pattern recognition and, you know, kind of like... 
related to engineering in some yeah. ways because precise. of the, yeah precision within then also learning how to control you know all four of your limbs mm-hmm. to, to yeah like nonlinear mathematical right. sort of like patterns yeah. that overlap and you know least common denominators all that right. math stuff yeah it all is in there. and then just for me is like since it's, it's funny that you say that too is because like after like spending time like immersing myself in it and like when I listen to songs especially songs I enjoy I can like tune out every all the other music and like listen to the drums itself mm-hmm. it's like really weird like how you get like your your ear gets trained in some ways like once you're like I'm assuming you probably can do that with like certain pieces with violin and things like that well, it's, yeah it's really <laughs> I think like learning picking an instrument to learn and then using that as your gateway into mm-hmm. a genre especially jazz music um, is but really for anything is is one of the best ways to, to enter in because you suddenly got this like baseline you've suddenly got this understanding what of that one for? part yeah. yeah so then when you understand that completely you can understand how it relates to you know two other things in there and then you you just build you know it's a it's an actual there's a learning process there's a mm-hmm. you know actual step step by step way to understanding the whole thing whereas if you don't play an instrument and you try to understand it you're hit with the whole thing right yeah, you once. just see the the end product yeah. and you're just like whoa so, uh, there's too much yeah, sensory input too much there yeah <laughs> so um but yeah, I was really, really fascinated with with that element to it. So I kind of got obsessed with uh, jazz music, and I started doing like jazz violin. But oh wow, for whatever reason, I I kind of just got really fascinated with guitar, and I switched okay. over to electric guitar, and that was just all I did then. You know, like I, the whole first part of my life, I was mostly just my parents would like they'd hide, they'd lock the computer and hide the key. Like, <laughs> used to be able to lock the power button. Oh, so like, wow. they wouldn't let me program or they'd hide like my math books or stuff. So then they started hiding my violin and then, you know, like it, and then by the time I got older, you know, it was like past the point, you know, like once you're in middle school, like that's, you know, that's a little like immature and kind of insulting, but they still right. were like, you really need to be like a well-rounded person and I kind of had no interest in doing that like I really wanted to yeah they didn't want you to just focus all of your input into one thing yeah as much yeah and they, they I think there was this, this philosophy that I think it was really popular in the 80s which has kind of subsided a bit which is like you really wanted to be well-rounded and you know not a nerd and not like obsessed with something or with mm. with any particular thing and just develop you know skills in every possible area right and I think like one of the sort of like the ethos of my existence so far has uh, I'd sum up with just like the the sentence like avoid being a dilettante. So a dilettante is a um, it's usually in reference to the art community, but it could be for anything. But a dilettante is somebody who pursues something as if they're like incredibly dedicated to it, but it, they're just like a tourist. Oh, know? okay. So so there's there's one thing to like. You know, educate yourself in a lot of different areas mm-hmm. if you're aware that, like, I'm educating myself in this so I can learn that and understand this part of the world. Mm-hmm. There's another thing if, like, every week you're like, I'm going to be a filmmaker, like, I'm going to oh. be a singer, I'm going to be a, you know, podcast. <laughs> it's, like you're wearing, yeah. it's like you're wearing the clothes for for the smallest amount of time to say, I did that thing kind yeah, of? Yeah, but you're not even aware that that's exactly what you're doing. You, oh, like, okay. kind of go into it, but as soon as it gets hard, as soon yeah. as you're, like, the, the, the sparkle wears off... And it's like, oh, now I gotta actually sit and practice scales <laughs> for like, you know, a year. Yeah. Then you go, oh, that's this, this, that wasn't for me. You know, yeah. So I'm gonna and jump to something else. And then you else. go, it's that guy who tells everybody about, like, yeah, I did this for a little while, but then I just, you know, it wasn't for me. Yeah, it know? wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, there's so much. I mean, you've heard of like the the Malcolm Gladwell's like the ten thousand hours yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. You know, and I think there's a huge truth to that. The I mean, talent, it may not be ten thousand hours. The Talent Code is an amazing book that is built around that kind of idea. So it's basically, I think it's Daniel Coyle. And he basically goes in and basically looks at myelin sheathing of their neurons and, and it's like when you start with a, a, a skill, any skill, right, being an instrument or like electronics and engineering or school, 
it's hard because your neurons are trying to um, like fire, but because the the myelin sheath of your neuron is is not insulating it basically, so the signal gets lost, and so you have to put more focus and energy into to to basically executing that task. Okay, to like build those pathways. To build the pathways, basically, okay. yeah. And so as you do something over and over and over and over again, your strength that, that those sheathing, lines. the sheathing gets more and more robust. And oh, that's insulating. amazing that there's like a physiological yeah, it's explanation. Yeah, it's a biophysiological, and so that's I, that's ironic because like that's what I was doing. I was reading that book and playing the drums at the same time. <laughs> so it really talks about this like immersive like learning where like how much of it you're focusing, where you like create errors, and then as soon as you create the error, you stop and go back and fix it. Like you're trying to you know you do this. You, very specific loop mm-hmm. to, to you know because I think that's part of like where learning fails in like structured environments right now where you you, you do tests you learn something and then you don't go back and fix those right. errors you have to move on to the next thing and so then you're like stuck and you never that, built that, pathways, that loop yeah. that feedback loop doesn't get closed right mm-hmm. and so I think that's part of the problem that's why when you learn by yourself right that's why all of the stuff that I do outside of it and I think why I think more people need to consider themselves as, as experimenters mm-hmm. you know because I think people are afraid to call themselves an experimenter because they think you know you're like doing experiments on yourself and you're <laughs> gonna hurt yourself or I don't know what I don't know what it is but like I just feel like people don't like like try to do something outside of a structured environment where like you know, I think everything I've done since I like started college is like I'm experimenting on myself. Like, mm-hmm. if it's a supplement or a workout routine or you know a type of food I eat, like it's you're experimenting on how your body reacts to X, right? Mm-hmm. And then whatever your input is, like it could be learning a new thing, or it could be you know like when you go to bed, like if you're gonna try to go to bed early or something like that. Mm-hmm. And I just think that's like a really important distinction. And then like when you take that myelin sheath thing. In, in like like the biomechanism of like how skill building works, it can really demystify um, why people seem better than other people, right? Because it's that person you're seeing where they're at now, and you don't know where they're yeah. at in, the, in their you know ten thousand hours, so to speak. I mean, that's a good like ballparking yeah. of it, but it, it, it's, it really makes sense. Like that, there's not really a, a thing called talent. It's just how many hours you put into something. Because mm-hmm. the more you try the more you get out of it, you know? Absolutely. And, <laughs> you know, and there's a thing, I used to study, like, when I was probably around 17 to 19, I was obsessed with performance psychology. Oh, I love that um, stuff for, now. <laughs> with relate, you know, related to music, for right, me, yeah. personally, but it was, and obviously it applies to anything. There's this great series called the Inner Game Series, and it was oh, originally cool. written for tennis, but it's been oh, applied wow. to music and all these things, and it's I might general... Th- I might have listened to a podcast with that guy on there. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, there's I can't a, remember his there's name. There's a sports, sports performance psychologist, Michael Gervais. He does a podcast, and he interviews people that are either top performers or people in, like, fields that are, like, psychologists or something. Mm-hmm. And I think he might have had one of those guys on the podcast before that were part of that, like, 10,000-hour oh, rule. Yeah. I'll, I'll send you a link to that. Oh, yeah, definitely <laughs> do, yeah. Exactly and the, the like concept that. behind that book is, is just that you, instead, like, everyone else kind of charges head forward, you know, like, forward and... and uh, wants to increase their aptitude in the thing they're doing, but there's this whole like flip side to that, which is decreasing the things that get in the way right. of what you're doing. You know, and that was entirely about how to practice decreasing those mm-hmm. interruptions and those uh, um, I don't know hiccups in the process of making yeah. those, those you know neural pathways. It's like what the errors are. Like you, yeah, I think one of the one of the examples from the book in Dan Coyle's book was basically you want to make as many errors as possible. In a given time frame, so that when you are doing it in the structured format, you already know you've already experienced those errors, right? You know, if you think about it, like there are bugs in code, right? If you can, mm-hmm. if we're going to take that software like top level look at all of these things, right? So, like one of the games that you referenced was um, in Brazil. I forget what it's called, but it's basically 
Brazil is huge with soccer, right? And so what they did is they've adapted a version of soccer that can be played in a smaller arena, like one-fourth the size, I believe. Also, like, increases the amount of air, like, the contact Yeah, time. the contact time yeah. with the ball, because the ball is one heavier, and, like, just how many times a player touches the ball, and then yeah. how, like, just compressing all of it together just increases that... The learning. The like, learning process. level. Instead of standing like, there just doing nothing. Right, yeah. whereas, like, then you scale that up to soccer level, right? You're mm-hmm. spending more time running around the field, not actually doing the skill-building exercises of it, but then, so then those players who started as a little, little kid, you know, six, seven, eight years old, then they, they become, you know, they have their 10,000 hours by the time they're 18, and then they go on to become professional soccer players in, you know, in the Olympics or whatever World Cup. That's why you have these, like, crazy, like, places where, like, um, like even in, I think it's Dominican Republic, baseball uh-huh. is huge because the way they play baseball there is it's, they really try to, they make these environments that, Conduce this growth in like a skill. It's really, yeah. it's really interesting. Yeah, <laughs> and it's not just like this is the way we've always done it. You yeah, know, it's, not, it's like kind of engineered to exi- optimize the yeah. learning process. And there's that that is like a thing that is entirely uh, kind of enthusiastically referenced for practicing music too. Like, there's a really big difference between like playing a piece that you're practicing and practicing the piece. So like when you're practicing, oh. generally. It's not at all like playing, because playing is kind of worthless. Like, you're going to go through the whole piece and make a bunch of mistakes, and all you're going to do is reinforce those same mistakes. Mm -hmm. So, like, practicing, when you get really, really into it on a professional level, is you just dedicate an hour to, like, one measure Mm -hmm. over and over. You know, and and if it's especially if it's a difficult measure, you know, or two measures of music, you just do the one thing and you build that, you know, kind of muscle memory. Yeah. Um, You build the muscle memory, you know, which is another neural pathway, and... And you just do it, and you do it over and over and over, and then you move on to the next thing. So you have all these little pieces, and then you go through, once you have all the pieces successfully created, you go through and you learn how to string them together. Right. You know, So it's those two processes, but neither of those is just the process of playing it, hoping you're going to get better. <laughs> and so many people spend years playing an instrument, and they never yeah. actually discipline themselves to say, like, okay, actually, this is work. This isn't fun. This isn't supposed it's, to sound like music. I think people don't understand it from the lens of mastery, right? Yeah. From taking something from... From, okay, I don't know how to do this yet, but I'm going to do this to the best of my ability, right? So they so they don't know, they chunk, they don't chunk it, right? They just see, like, here's X, like the big whole thing, but they don't take it and be like, okay, here's here's part A, here's part B, here's part C. I'm going to start at part A and get really, really good at it, and then I'll move on to part, you know, B or C. They just see the, the thing in its entirety, mm-hmm. and then they get daunted by it, and they're like, oh, well, I'm never going to be able to do that, right? Yeah. <laughs> Well, there's this other thing that I've noticed. This is kind of just I've noticed this in the last few years, like learning kind of how to how to market the things I've made to to other people, whether mm-hmm. it's music or games or whatever. But um, there's this I can't even go as far as like to call it like a disease. There's this like <laughs> disease in in the you know the general population, like the minds of the general population, where it's not cool to have put work forth to do something. And and so like that at first sounds doesn't make sense, but when somebody sees, you know, something fantastic, I think they really, really, especially if it's, like, a famous person or, you know, someone they admire, they really want to, like, they want to think it's, like, a God-given talent, that this person right, is yeah. fantastic, you know, and they don't want to confront the possibility that they could be like that mm-hmm. or that just putting in a lot of time. Like, there's a thing I've heard so many people say where they're, like, when they find out how, how much, you know, how long somebody's practiced or how long it take them to build, took them to build something, they'd be like, well, if I put in, you know, 2,000 hours, I could build something. 
It's like, yeah, but you didn't. You know, like, yeah. so like that's the thing. The point it's is the dedication. <laughs> yeah, it's the dedication and how smart your process to you know dedicate that energy mm-hmm. is. That is the thing that makes fantastic things. And the entertainment industry actually kind of goes through like a um, very intentional and kind of like almost secretive process of making things seem like they kind of come out of nowhere because people like latch onto it way more. Right. And I've like I've noticed that like even just like on social media, if you like make like a very well constructed, you know, cut like number of sentences explaining something you've made or that you want to show people, you know, and it's got all proper punctuation and yeah, capitalization exactly. and spelling and everything. <laughs> it's it all it has like this immediate disinterest to people because it looks like you tried too hard. Whereas if you have uh. like one like half a sentence with like lol speak and it's all lowercase, like they just gra- they want to grab onto it because it's somehow it seems cooler. And I keep mm-hmm. noticing this over and over that that there is that sentiment. But there's this story that I've kind of, this kind of goes along with the, you know, like avoid being a dilettante uh, ethos, but this wonderful story of um, Isaac Stern, he's this classical violinist. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this story is apocryphal or if it's <laughs> actually happened, but it's a wonderful story. <laughs> but he supposedly, he, he finished a concert and was, you know, walking down from the stage and there was a crowd of people, or small crowd of people there, just in total amazement. and. They said, um, one woman said, my God, I would give my life to play like you. Mm -hmm. And he looked at her and he said, madam, I did. And like, it's just, (laughs) it's like real, well, yeah, if you would. It's a beautiful quote. Yeah, it's just, just, it was, it's just so concise, you know. Yeah. Um, And, but I think that tells, tells a lot about like why people do get good at certain things and why they become interested in certain things and why other people choose to kind of back away from those Mm -hmm. um, and and kind of get lost in jumping from thing to thing to make themselves happy, you know, because it it approaches some sort of fear of, like, that's how much work I have to do. Like, I want to quit. I want to be, like, impressive now. I got to put something up next week on Facebook that I did. Yeah. And and you really don't want to just dedicate, you know, your life to something. Mm -hmm. But, um... So anyways, but yeah, kind of going all the way back, you know, like I got really into music and just started practicing, you know, like crazy and reading up on performance psychology and um, kind of around when I was like 15 or 16, when I was on stage uh, playing, I noticed kind of when I'd get excited, my hands started shaking and I'd like lose a lot of like fine motor ability in them. And, you know, I started kind of asking a few people about it and they were like, well, you're probably just like super nervous, just like chill, you know, just calm down. And like that happens to all of us. We kind of clam up, you know, the typical reaction basically that people would say. Yeah. Yeah. Just like based on their own personal experiences, you know, with a different, you know, brain than me, like that's, that's what the explanation was. So I kind of ignored it for a bit, but then it started getting significantly worse and kind of happening. You know, I noticed I wasn't like able to eat like soup with a spoon really easily or, you know, all sorts of different, different tasks that should be easy even when my heart rate was low where suddenly you know my hands were shaking so i saw a neurologist and so it turned out i had this condition called essential tremor which is it's a degenerative thing it's going to just keep getting worse oh, wow but i don't at this point i don't have almost any kind of like fine motor control in either hand really so is it kind of like hand. parkinson's disease it's it's like related it's it it presents in the opposite way so like um this happens whenever i try to do something oh okay so if i go to reach for something it's just, I'm not doing this on purpose. This is the natural yeah. amount. So if I go to reach for this, like, this headphone, like, it's... Wow. If I, if so, I stop so for, the For those muscle, of you who don't have, we don't have video right now, but yeah. basically his hand is shaking, like, uncontrollably when he's trying to reach for something. Yeah. If I let it go loose, it doesn't shake at all. Like, wow. so Parkinson's, it's the opposite. Like, you shake until you activate the muscle, okay. and then it stops. 
So, but it is like a similar part of the brain. Yeah. But um, obviously, if you're playing music, your muscles are not right. Yeah, relaxed. You, yeah. You can't hold onto something or yeah. strum properly. Like, so vi- like violin was l- gone. Like I couldn't play violin and guitar. You know, you have your hand. Obviously, no one can see me, but you have your hand out. Your right hand yeah. out, and it's you know your you entire have to support forearm your is wrist. engaged and everything. Yeah, your yeah. whole all these muscles are at least supporting your arm. So you know, it starts shaking. So I kind of like was like, well, you know, like playing electric bass is a little different because you know you don't have to support your wrist. Oh, okay. You, know, you have it up on the instrument, and it's just your hand is hanging down. So I s- sort of like transitioned to that, and like looking at the treatments for it, there really were not interesting. A lot of ones that sounded yeah. Um, they could like burn out that part of your brain and just get rid of your fine motor control. <laughs> there was like a, an open brain surgery option that was actually the safest one, but I just could not get past the thought. You have to be conscious for it. Oh wow! Like they have a big like tent. Yes, yeah, so you can't see. And the see top much. of your head's not there. Yeah. And they poke around and do different things until and they have you like hold your hands up. Yeah. And, and then like they, when they get to the right one, you're like, oh my hand isn't shaking, and they're like, okay, we got it. I just could. I know. Yeah. I know people managed to do it. I yeah. just couldn't imagine so the, like sitting so there knowing. This my is brain ironic is, that. Uh, <laughs> That you, you have this kind of thing. Uh, I just listened to a, a podcast from Cal Fussman's. He had a guy called Mick Ebling from he does he's the starter of a technology company called uh, Not Impossible. And so what he does is he takes these problems that are like pretty like important ones. So he his team created a thing called iWriter, which is basically that eye writing technology for for people like um, Stephen Hawking. So okay. you can basically do text to speech. Uh, with just using your eyes on a computer screen, but they created a a very cheap version of that for people to use it. And one of the things they created was this thing called a vibro suite. And I just wrote a blog post about it. But basically, they it's it's a a motor system basically that a deaf person can wear. Oh, you talked about this with Joe. Like yeah, I did you can hear about, music through the the actual. Yes, yeah, so you know. feel the music through mm-hmm. motor vibrations. But the newest thing they're doing with it is they took the mis- wrist mounted motors, and they're they they are adapting the technology to combat the Parkinson's disease somehow. Oh, and wow, they're, yeah. And they're going to market it, the, the technology with, I think it might be this month or next month, it's going to be available. So I don't know if you want to reach out to them yeah. and see if, like, if you, I don't know, it could, it could work because if it's related, I don't know, it might be a thing that you could use that yeah. could mitigate the, the re, that what your wrist is doing, you know, uncontrollably. Oh, yeah, absolutely. There's so, a whole bunch of different things, actually. Just um, I think just uh, Tuesday they announced that, uh, like, CBD and THC were, oh, really? like, uh, in a real Yeah, I've heard stuff like that. Where, yeah, and they're, they're doing a whole bunch of studies now, and, like, the stocks for CBD just went up, like, 12 <laughs> hours, 15% okay. uh, on Tuesday. And for those of you who don't know, CBD is, uh, what is it, is it cannabis? I don't know. I don't know. Like, actually, I was going to say it. It's related like, to cannabis. Yeah, no. I don't remember. It's remember. oil. Yeah, it's cannabis oil. oil yeah. But it's it's not it's not supposed to give you any effect. There's no the, visuals yeah, or psychotropic. No, yeah, no actual yeah drug effect other than just bad health benefits. Oh, yeah, I, I just want to tangent on that real quick because that's like a, they've, I've heard of these like wrist-mounted motor type uh, devices that are non-invasive and all you have to kind of wear them and it'll just cancel out any of the tremoring mm-hmm. basically. So worth looking into. I'll send you the links on that too. Yeah, please do. Yeah, <laughs> no, I'd, that'd be that'd be amazing. Um, so yeah, like I transitioned to bass because of the the shaking, and then um, it was started. It started to kind of become apparent like I wasn't going to be able to pursue this on like a world class level, right? Like, yeah, to be a professional because my skills that. were getting like worse rather than better, or they were just kind of stagnating. Just, yeah, there was just definitely like a stagnation with it. So and I that, I kind of realized that like end of senior year, you know, when I was already kind of looking at music schools to go to and stuff. So I thought, well. You know, I already have, like, a pretty fair understanding of 
like audio engineering because I was already re- recording for people kind of just as like a side hobby oh, okay, myself and I thought like oh if you become an audio engineer then you don't have to hire an audio engineer that'd be a great like skill to match with being a musician so I just decided to kind of like work as a professional musician and as an audio engineer like right out of high school mm-hmm. I was just like I'm gonna wow, figure out wow that's really cool figure out what to do I've been yeah. trying to figure out audio engineering myself as I try oh, to do yeah. all this podcasting stuff so I've just been you know, playing around with effects and like, how do I make it sound good? <laughs> that sounds great, man. Yeah, no, it sounds really good. It's been, it's been one of those things that for me is like, it's it's never ending battle when it becomes oh, yeah. to like my YouTube channel is is, is behind us, but I, I, I use that as like my guinea pig to try and mm-hmm. just learn it in a low stress environment because a gamer is not really going to care how good the quality of the audio is compared to like a podcast where you're going to sit here and you know dedicate an hour or two hours of your time. You know, so I, I really like, you know, taking the, the long form approach of just dedicating time and just tweaking things here and there, getting used to like how far the microphones need to be or, you know, just little things. Right. And it's, it's funny that you kind of just kind of fell into it. Right. <laughs> but it's a it's a process. You never stop learning. No. You know, and, and one of the things for for something like that, that's like a craft that you, you know, that you develop and that you kind of do, you know, that's not a private craft, but it's something you do for other people that I think is really important is to. To, to listen to a lot of criticism, mm-hmm. but even in art or any anything that's kind of subjective, listening to criticism is a really delicate thing. Where right, you yeah. need to identify who is giving you the criticism and do they understand the thing you're trying to do? Yeah, you know. So I mean, some people say like, "Oh, that's the thing you did is terrible. I hate it." You know, why don't you do something that's more like this thing that they like? You know, <laughs> no, I. Okay, and you, yeah. you, so you, you listen to it, you accept it, and then you don't act on that. Right, yeah. But other people who do understand what you're doing, you know, they'll say, like, you know, the, the, you know, the mix on that was, like, a little too compressed and, like, right, it yeah. hurt my ears. And if you actually trust them, you know, you, you listen to that and you think, like, okay, I think I want to improve that. So it mm-hmm. is, like, a process of continually improving. Oh, for sure is. Continually, like, finely crafting, you know, everything mm-hmm. that you're doing. Um, and I think audio engineering more than... Even other forms of engineering is is definitely this thing that's like a hundred percent subjective. Oh yeah, for where sure. <laughs> you just you know you just have to like kind of find this like sweet spot that's yeah. in between. You know, I mean, all engineering is finding like a sweet spot, but it's finding the sweet spot that that people find yeah. you know really pleasant. You know, and it's it's not ever like an accurate interpretation <laughs> of the signal coming from a, mic- a right. microphone that's way too dynamic. You need to compress it. You need to EQ it. You got to yeah. do all this stuff, th- this all this manipulation to just make it sound how people think it it's should supposed sound. To sound. Right, yeah. yeah. Well, kind of like we were talking about video games earlier, how no physics in video games are actually modeled as proper physics. They're all just made to feel good. You know, yeah, they're, they're made to just trick you into thinking you're having a great time and you yeah. did something amazing. You know, whether it's like helps you aim at the last second or you yeah. don't notice, you know, it just makes you feel like, yeah, the I'm awesome. correction that's hidden inside of the code, yeah. right? Ton, tons of stuff like that. So, so I kind of just like right out of high school just started doing audio engineering and, and playing just as a professional musician, you know, mostly like playing bass and kind of in the first year that I was kind of exploring life and figuring out what direction I wanted to go. I had this, there was this band, this jazz group from Chicago that's kind of known like, you know, internationally, but they, they happen to be from Chicago called the Paul Wordico Trio. And mm-hmm. it's um, the guy, the main guy, he's the drummer. His name's Paul Wordico. Uh, he's like, he's a seven time Grammy Award winner. Like, is a, you know, like pioneered this entire style of drumming. This entire corner of the drum world has been, Whoa. you know, as a result of like innovations and things mm-hmm. he's done. So he was like throughout all high school. That was my favorite band, and um, I was just super. I just super loved everything they did. And uh, I went to one of their shows at the the Green Mill here in Chicago. And after the show, like I went up and said, I just 
went for. I just said like, hey, would you guys like, you know, like I'm I'm an audio engineer. Would you like me to like record the demos for free for your next album? So like, you don't have to actually go in to pay. Because and it's really easy to say do you want to record the demos because it doesn't matter. No one's going to hear them. Yeah. It's just sort of like a documentation process, and it's kind of a boring thing that just costs money and. Yeah. yeah, whatever. So I was just like, you know, I'd be happy to do that for free, like because I love your music so much. And and I think like part of it was that I was I was when I was talking to them, I was just incredibly interested in their music and the things they were making, and I right. wasn't really starstruck at all. And I've never been like starstruck yeah, with anybody. Yeah, you weren't being fanboy. Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's that, not, that doesn't mean anything to me. But the fact that somebody's making something spectacular and I want to help them, you right? Know, yeah, or be a part of it in some way. So they said, yeah, sure. So like. Over the course of, I think, a year and a half, I went from recording the demos to being an assistant engineer on the actual project to being the main engineer on the actual project to being the only engineer on the project to helping them build the recording studio and engineering like the entire design of that wow. to then playing on their record. like, And then to they, they made me the producer of the, the record and then asked me to join the band. Whoa. So like in a year and a half, like that all sort of happened. And it was it's a just, crazy arc. <laughs> yeah, it was. I mean, it was just, but it was. It all just sort of happened naturally. It wasn't mm-hmm. like that. Wasn't really my goal, kind of going into it. It was just like I wanted to do something exciting, yeah, and be a part of something, and be enthusiastic, and and just make sure that this thing happened. And it wasn't like part of some sort of grand scheme strategy. And because yeah. you know, people can sniff that out, I think, like when you're, you know, trying. Well, to you're sincere. Your you can tell yeah. when people are not being sincere about it, because especially if you're someone like the way you're explaining it, you really have this deep seated interest in it. You know, where yeah. you're, you're just like, I just love the music for what it is, and they're creating something that I believe in as much as they do, you mm-hmm. know? And they, I think people can tell that, yeah. you know? And, and I think that's part of just being, you know, unashamedly yourself, like, just following your own interests, you know, where people can tell, like, especially in social media, too, like, people can tell when it feels, like you were saying before, where, you, like, they, if you're not being true to your own character, people can kind of feel it, right? Like, yeah. When you're trying to put on a face of some sort or just be like, you know, if you're holding a product in every like other photo or something like that, like you people just there's something inauthentic about it. Mm-hmm. That's the word I'm searching for. And, and when you when you do that, like when you just be authentically yourself, you, you, you open doors because people just that is rare. You know, yeah. uh, it's probably more rare today than it was even back then where you're having. It people, is. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with all these people who have different ideas or trying to pitch you in any other, you know, left, right and sideways just with the proliferation of the Internet. Um, but that's a really cool story. Continue. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so and, and you know, like the, the year that was like 2003. I remember the year 2003, especially going like I was just living at the studio. I was just sleeping there just a few hours mm-hmm. a night. And I think there, w- there was a point when I was trying to meet a couple different deadlines, like in December 2003, when I remember there were two weeks that I had mixed for 100 hours a week. Wow. <laughs> and, and, I, and that's a super bad thing. You don't ever want to mix for even 40 hours, because like, you, you lose like this sort of baseline perspective of like oh, a flat EQ okay. curve, like, because certain frequencies, you know, the high end will you know, sort of start being attenuated, and then you're going to hear all this you know, sort of mid-range, so then you end up boosting the high end, and, and a certain mid-range frequencies disappear, and you, you do a terrible <laughs> job. But you know, it was just kind of I ended up in this situation, and, like, and I kind of think of that as like my residency, like my, you know, yeah. my dues you know, in that time, like learning. But I learned so much. Probably so quickly, um, too. Yeah, it was a lot of it. Yeah, a lot of it was like finding out secrets of like the industry, like mm-hmm. how do these things, you know, actually happen. And so much of it is just like, it is, you know, things that are, because like Paul had like played with David Bowie and oh, like. Oh, wow, that's neat. Yeah, you know, it's just all these, all these fantastic people. But I got to hear about like what 
that was like, you know, like mm-hmm. what working with like David Bowie and Brian Eno was like, you know, and like, and just hearing about these things that you, you don't, you don't ever know about. Um, but, you know, it all kind of had this, you know, common theme of, you know, you need to make something that's good in the end and you have to do whatever it takes to right. do that. And, you know, a lot of times that's something that's, you know, perceived as dishonest or something, but, mm-hmm. but in all the, every musician who's ever existed, there's, there's been like a, um, an entire process that goes on to, to make sure that that happens in the most efficient and effective way. Right. Um, like there was one audio engineer I met, um, and I'm not gonna say what band, there was a popular boy band, or not boy band, like a rock band, uh, with younger guys that, um, that was around in like the, the early 2000s and, um, that who you definitely know, who it is, <laughs> but they, um, their drummer kind of sucked and, um, so what they they do they go in and record and they didn't really work that hard like they'd only record like a couple you know a couple hours and then mm-hmm. they'd go party oh okay so the process of like editing a bad musician into a good musician is pretty time consuming and like because <laughs> it's time consuming costs a fair amount of money oh, okay so they were the producer for this this album um and the, the audio engineer who i met um they realized it was actually cheaper and more effective and gave like a far better final product if they had a different drummer come in, listen to the thing he played, and just play it the right way on his kit and in the style that he plays it. Oh my god! And then leave, and they never told him that that's what they did. They said they edited it overnight. Oh my like, lord! Yeah, we were editing. Yeah, if he noticed, and he, half the time he didn't even notice. But if he'd be like, "Wow, that's way better," you know, you guys must have edited that. <laughs> but it was the cheapest way to and most effective way to do it. Wow. You know, so like, and you just lie about it, and there's just a ton of that. <laughs> That's crazy. But it, but it is, you know, and, and there's different degrees. You know, some people don't need to do very much of that. Right, and other yeah. people do. But it, it's obviously much more common with people who have, like, a celebrity status, like a sex appeal, you know, right, on MTV. Yeah. They have like a certain image about them yeah. that they can sell then. Yeah. And in fairness, that's m- much harder to pull off to be a celebrity than it is to be a good musician. Like, there's a lot of good musicians, but to live that sort of celebrity life and to be both, a fascinating, yeah. crazy person is, is harder. <laughs> so, I mean, it's... It's not that the people who come in afterwards should get the credit. They're just a really boring person who practices a lot. (laughs) They just have the technical skill, not the the wow factor that comes along with being a celebrity. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. So like it's so it's just learning a lot of that stuff. And um, yeah, I got to do a lot of like uh, crazy, crazy things. Uh, Like I I played at the 2008 Democratic National Convention in Denver, (laughs) Um, and and a lot of it was really interesting because it was. It was like being close. The two other guys in this band were like incredibly famous and well known, and I'm okay. just sort of like nobody. Yeah, you're just like some guy. <laughs> yeah, but but there was like a whole bunch of funny, you know, instances that that put that into this very strange and like interesting perspectives. So like one of one of the funniest stories is we were um, we were going to play at the Cape Breton Drum Festival in Sydney, Nova Nova Scotia, um, on the east coast, and uh, there was. After we, you know, all the people who were playing there took, you know, planes. I forget to if it was like Toronto or some some big airport. And then there was like this very tiny plane that took everybody to the island. Okay. Um, and I remember like as, as I got on the plane, I like looked at who was on the plane, and it was Alan White from John Lennon's band. And Whoa. yes, <laughs> um, Billy Cobham from Miles Davis and Mahavishnu Orchestra, Michael Shreve from Santana, Denny Sywell from Paul McCartney and Wings. Liberty DeVito from Billy Joel, like Elton John and the Beach Boys, like uh, all these people, Meatloaf and wow, uh, Danny Seraphine from the band Chicago, uh, Pete Lockett, uh, 
God, it was just it was just so many people. And the guy sitting next to me in the plane, it was just two two seats on each yeah. side. The guy sitting next to me is this guy named Bernard Purdy. And he's like the most prolific recorded musician in history. Whoa. So like he's been on like over four thousand albums. Whoa. Like he did all the Steely Dan albums. He did some of the Beatles albums, which is kind of like an industry secret. Like he did some of the later the drums on the later albums. Like he invented this whole drum beat called the Purdy Shuffle, which like hadn't been done. I think before I've heard now. of that. Yeah, it's like. Oh yeah, I definitely have heard of that one. And it's and so it was like the like the most famous guy out of all these people was like sitting next to me. It was like the nicest guy in the world. So, but you're just like, how am I here? Yeah, exactly. But so like the plane started having like actual mechanical troubles while we were flying there, and I haven't flown like that much in my life, especially in planes like that to think for myself that doesn't sound good mm-hmm. but all these people who all live on planes <laughs> all thought something was not good yeah and they were all talking like that it was like that certain sounds and the certain movements of the plane were like very not it was not turbulence it was mechanical problems oh no so i remember having this thought instantly when i was sitting there that if the plane crashed the newspaper article would list all 25 names of those famous people and say, and one other man were killed. In yeah, the plane crash. And like, I'd be the only one whose name they wouldn't mention. And for some reason, that that gave me like a lot of comfort. It was kind of like, well, if, if Bernard Purdy's gonna die, like, I don't mind dying. Like, that's fine. You know, it's just, it was, it was a really strange perspective, you know, and, and that kind of, you know, that was, that was a lot of, you know, the whole period of time I was, you know, with that band. But, um, but yeah, we got to do like a whole bunch of, you know, really, really neat things. And um, I mean, I played 3,600, more than 3,600 gigs in my life. Wow, that's you know? so crazy. Uh, most of those were like crummy gigs, right. you know, somewhere, but but it was just a tremendous amount of, you know, playing and I got to Still meet all these people. See, yeah, just the amount of time just playing, <laughs> it definitely is that 10,000 hours. It's but um, And then we had like a, uh, we got, Paul and I got this radio show for in Chicago mm-hmm. on WLFM uh, 87.7. We had, um, this uh, it was like a jazz show where we'd like talk about jazz and play really weird jazz music and oh, that that's was cool. That was uh, that was like a really interesting experience. We did ninety five weekly shows um, and uh, like the wow, higher 95 end ninety five yeah a so week that's no, a no 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 I mean ninety five once a week ninety five oh, okay times. okay yeah. gotcha okay <laughs> um, so like um, it was like between two thousand ten and, and two thousand twelve and. Um, and that was also a really interesting experience, which you know I kind of wanted to bring up earlier when we were talking before we started this. Um, is it like the audience for that would be sometimes as high as like twenty thousand people, mm-hmm. um, which is is really strange. That's a lot. That's high. It's high, but it's it's bizarre. You there's no evidence that that's true. Okay. Like, You'd get the like the the Nielsen report that would say how many people it mm-hmm. was, and that sheet of paper was the only evidence you had mm, that okay. it was that. There was nothing else. It was just this like sort of you know, emptiness, you know, like void that you're looking out, and someone says there's twenty thousand people out there, and you're like, really? Yeah. <laughs> and um, and especially the way they'd tell you too was was super messed up. Like they'd say the percentage of the listening audience for one specific age group was the, the first part of the report, and that was the only part that mattered. That's weird. And the reason is because the ads for your show can only be targeted at one age group. Oh, I see and how that, that works. They're, they, it's easier for them to know what percentage of the metropolitan area is listening to you compared to other shows yeah. than the total, the cumulative amount. Right. 
so like you immediately realize you're part of the system that like they don't even care because we'd be like oh man there's like so many high schoolers listening they're learning about jazz right, music yeah. and we're getting to teach them stuff and they're like well we don't care that's not the that's, that's not, not our demographic the advertisers aren't paying for them so like that's worthless you know like, so that's you gotta strange. aim it at you know 35 to 50 you're like that's so that's so strange yeah but but like with with anything you do there's this really interesting disconnect between you know what you're told is the effect of it mm-hmm. and your own kind of emotional you know response and and any especially any sort of direct contact you have with somebody that it's changed mm-hmm. um and i still to be honest like haven't figured that out what what the right balance is between that but like a really good example of something that's kind of a, a thing that's present in my life right now is um I made I, I do these uh, video game development competitions. They're called game jams. They're like usually a seventy-two hour programming competition. Oh, okay, you make you start off a problem. Yeah, yeah. You're you're um you're told like a theme. You have to make a game about this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on Friday night and then you know Monday night or Sunday night you turn in a final product right. and then everyone plays the thing you made in that short amount of time, which is crazy fun but also crazy. It goes know. back to our like ten thousand hour thing where you're trying yeah. to make something as in a condensed environment and that works and then you're also making mistakes. Mm-hmm. You know you learn a lot of mistakes because you go through the whole production right, process yeah. to the end and you you get to see that whole process and learn really fast. That's really cool. But you also like code really terribly, you know right, you're, yeah, not, you're not building things that are extensible in any it's way. It's just one single use, you know. Yeah. But um <laughs> but I made this game uh that was a parody of that Lucas Pope game, Papers Please. Have you did you know that game? I think so. Is okay. it the one where you like throw papers? No, you're you're like a border crossing guard, and you, oh, okay, different like for like an Eastern European country. So I made a parody oh, okay. of that um, called "Videos Please," which was like, like a comedy parody of it. And for whatever reason, compared to all the other things I've made, that one like took off. Like hmm. people, because they I think they found it really easily when they were looking to pirate the other game or something, and people you know grabbed onto it. But there's like tons of let's play videos of it on YouTube of people so playing weird. this game. And those are, like, unbelievably fun to watch, the Let's Play videos, um, like, especially if the person gets the joke, because mm-hmm. you're there, like, right with them and watching their brain work, and you see them, you know, responding, and you don't get that from other art forms, like music, you yeah. don't get to see somebody reacting, you know, it's yeah. just, you know they reacted, but, you know, it's, you don't see it, so it was, it was really interesting seeing that, but also just seeing that, like, tens of thousands of people are, are playing this game, but... With the exception of the the Let's Play videos, there's it's just a number, and it just starts ticking yeah. you know, further, higher, and higher. And you know, obviously, most people don't make Let's Play videos of it, but you can tell that it's really popular. And mm-hmm. for whatever reason, like especially making a game, you know what the inner workings are of it, right, and yeah. all the moving you know pieces. You the back the back, yeah, back end. end. Yeah, you you know it's not magical in any way. <laughs> you know exactly what's happening, and generally, you know how to like game the system to beat it. You know, yeah. so it's it's not fun. At least for me, I've never had fun playing one of my own games. Really, um, <laughs> I it, totally get that. It's, yeah, it's, just, it's something with being creator. You don't. I don't know why. Like I don't really listen to the podcasts post doing it because mm-hmm. in the editing process I listen to snippets here and there. I'm you know post processing a part of it. I don't enjoy that part. And then like my videos on YouTube, I, I don't know why. I just it's just for me. It's like I did the performance. I do. Oh the, yeah, yeah. It's you just, just, it's I did okay. as minimal of the editing as I needed to do, and then it's you know I it's off to the races, and I don't think about it anymore. Yeah. You know, it's I don't know why that the way I do it, but it's 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 a common thing with certain creators, like even like George Clooney. I think is one of the actors. He doesn't like I don't think it's George Clooney. It's one of those like big a lot people. of them don't. Like watch yeah, they their don't watch stuff. any yeah. of their own films for yeah. for whatever reason. You know, and I, and I think that's a, kind of an important distinction because it kind of like I don't know because I think rewatching something it kind of demystifies it for yourself in some way because then you kind of can go back through and fine tooth comb it in some ways like when you say you you like you know your how your game works right mm-hmm. and so you're, all you're going to do is just be critical of, of your process 
and then you're just gonna just not enjoy it anymore, right? Because yeah, then, <laughs> well, there's that element. I, I do enjoy like, showing it to people. Well, yeah, I get, you know, like, yeah, seeing I would the be, response. But but yeah, I mean, for something like that, that's got like a lot of kind of just very specific math behind it. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the response I have. But I have the opposite sort of response from music. Like I okay. listen to like just a t- like my approach to making music, which is kind of the thing that I think of as like my primary purpose in life, the mm-hmm. thing I care the most about. Um, is that like there's something I want to hear? Like there's a thing somebody hasn't done, and I want to hear it so badly that I'm going to make it. Oh, that's and, cool. You know, and I've done it so much that I can generally like just. It's not a struggle to create the thing that I hear in my head, and it's just sort of a process of just work, arduous out man hours. Right. So like I'll make the thing, and it happens so incredibly fast. It's almost like it's like that uh, highway hypnosis sort of thing. Like I don't remember <laughs> oh, okay. making any writing any of the music I write. It sort of just oh, happens wow. very, very fast. Again, it's, I, I'm not saying I might go into a altered state necessarily, but it is the highway hypnosis thing. Like, so you don't. You suddenly, you sit down, and four hours later, you have this finished thing, and you're like, I really don't remember this. You're like, when did that happen? Yeah. <laughs> but because, because it's made in that, like, that way, and there's no deliberation really over it, there's no, like, struggling, there's no... You know, uh, just there's no difficulty because, like, it's something that you, if you've gotten really good at making something and you can kind of do it in that way, you know, like, kind of you have the neural pathways to drive. That's why the highway hypnosis happens, is because it's, it's just something you instinctively do. Yeah. Because it's done that way, there's, it's this, like, incredibly magical thing. Like, and I, I absolutely love, you know, listening to almost everything that I've yeah, made. Yeah, I, I can see why that would be the thing, too. It's funny that you bring that up, too, because, like, when I, so when I do my video game videos that I would do, it's, it's playthroughs of a single match, so it's about mm-hmm. 20 minutes on average. But because it's in in a active changing environment, and I'm commentating over it while playing at the same time, I have no idea what I said half the yeah. time. Yeah, like that's why, like when I don't go, when I go back and listen through, I'm like, oh man, I didn't even finish that thought right there. That's why, like, I think part of it is like, you know, each thing is a self contained moment of time, mm-hmm. and every time I would do that video, it would be different no matter what, right? Certain certain things would come up in some ways and differently here. And I think when you're, like, talking like that is you're completely immersed in the creative process that when you come out of it, you have no recollection of what it was, like, that, yeah. like that, the actual inner workings of it. So then when you listen to it on the back end, you're like, oh, wow, this is amazing, right? Because mm-hmm. you're just like, I did all that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> but but it has this interesting uh, kind of conflict it creates in your life. Now, music, like, used to, like I said, I grew up in, like, the, you know, the 90s, and, like, people used to sit down and listen to records. That's right. not the case anymore. Yeah. Like, it's it's really just, if it feels good and it's got a nice single, you know, it, it survives and otherwise Yeah, isn't nobody... it mostly singles related now for the majority of big music? I, I don't even follow that. No, you don't no follow yeah. yeah. I mean, I, I just make my own. I don't listen. I mean, I have, like, all the music. I try to, like, look at new music, but I'm not. Right. It's not ever something that's within the vein of popular music. Yeah. It's just I try to find new stuff that's the type of thing that I, you know, yeah. that I enjoy. But um, so so growing up with music being that important thing, like, I, it's incredibly special to me, and it's the thing, it's the art form that I kind of associate the most with and that I, you know, feel the most resonance with. And um, and there's this interesting thing where so the video games you know are are great and everything and I love making them but the the music is has so much more of my like kind of soul my heart and even mm-hmm. like time like so there's like a an album I released in uh, the beginning of this year and uh, it's it's called Steganography and it's um it I was working on it for 17 years wow like not not like abandoning it at prolonged periods of time yeah. I was basically just like working on it and. I mean, one thing is I'll say don't ever do something like that because 
it, it loses it. Like, you realize after five years you've gotten so much better at doing the right, you, know, yeah. you have to rewrite it. And it's just constantly kind of revising the older parts so that it stays relevant, relevant. to your life and also as good as the thing you could possibly make at that given point. But, um, <laughs> but it's this thing I care, like, tremendously about. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's, you know, I kind of made it and released it, and, like, there's nothing. Like, you know, like, I, mean, I know some of my friends probably listen to it, but people don't get enthusiastic about right. that sort of thing. And most music that's on, like, Spotify or whatever, it just doesn't, I mean, I look at all the bands I love, and, like, most of them have, the like, the less than 1,000 listens, okay. so it doesn't count how many. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it sits at that. I know there must be some, but... But it's there's nothing there. But it's the thing that's you know really important to me and the way that I express myself. Right. But you know you're you know affecting other people with a different method. Mm -hmm. You know. So so there's this, you know. Also like compared to like the twenty thousand listeners for the radio show, like it's right. It's yeah. somehow not satisfying to not make some sort of intimate, kind of, um, you know, change in somebody's brain. Right. Yeah. And I kind of look at art as and a visceral reaction to it, where you like. Yeah. Well, not only the, the sort of involuntary visceral reaction, but but just what it changes for the person. So like art to me. And this is, like, one of the most controversial subjects mm -hmm. to say, what is art? But right, of course. To me, and I'm not qualified, really, to say this other than the fact that, I'm, that I make art, but uh, the, the art comes, the root of art is actually the word artifice, which means, oh, okay. like, subtle trickery. So, and I kind of, as soon as I learned that, it kind of pieced together this general meaning for me where, you know, art is the process of, Somehow tricking somebody into seeing the world in a different way, mm -hmm. you know, so you come into, you know, experiencing something and it, through whatever set of processes for that specific medium, you realize something about yourself, you realize mm -hmm. something about the world because you're suddenly hearing these sort of abstract thoughts, you know, that yeah. aren't really tangible in, in words necessarily, especially for music. You're just getting these general concepts and... You know, they could be music could be made by someone who doesn't speak English, and you understand it just as well. Right. Yeah. So you get these, you know, very abstract concepts, and then it's a way of communicating that type of stuff that there is no other way, and you you you're changed by it. Mm -hmm. You know, you you see things in a different way, and I think that's like an incredibly important uh, thing to me. Um, like, does that have you like looked at the history of like music itself? Then, like, you know how the some of the first instruments sound like representations of animals or, mm -hmm. you know, I, I think, I don't know if it was one of the recorded ones or we lost that recording, but we talked about music one time in one of our conversations. We, we probably talked about it before. Me and my friends talk, like, on the podcast, like, the first few episodes. We, that's how we talk in groups when we have a couple beers or something. Yeah. Um, and I think we, we tangent at one time really deep into music and we found, like, videos on YouTube where, you know, you would hear these instruments that sound like howling of animals and like the drums like the, the the very tin like old school you know very original instruments and stuff like and you just like if you listen to it close enough and you really like open yourself up to it it really feels like the the instruments themselves are capturing the essence of something in the natural world it's mm -hmm. primordial right and yeah. so like today the music itself is is just a further extension of what that is right you know mm -hmm. it's just an evolved form of it so to speak and i think what you're saying is it should resonate with a lot of people because like you said when you don't you don't even need to be a part of the culture or know the language if it's a different language in the song mm -hmm. you can still feel emotionally moved or feel some sort of anything to it right like you can there's something deeper than just what it is like it's it's ingrained i feel like i think music was probably before language 
right? It was probably the first language, if yeah. you think about it, right? Mm-hmm. So it's one of those things that you, if you think about it, 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 it was like the basis of all, like the very beginning of creativity for humanity, mm-hmm. right? And, and, and an outward expression. And I guess the out, first version of outward expression is by mimicking the world around you, right? To mm-hmm. tell stories. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. And like one of the things that I personally kind of uh, a goal for, for my art, that's it's a bit abstract, but the general concept is I always want to try to convey something musically that is not able to be written down with like sheet music or oh, with, that's cool. with, you know, there's no way to, to describe it with words and there's no way to describe it with notes. It's just this thing that kind of exists in between general concepts. And I think that's the tying back to what we were you know talking about before. I think like finding out that there there aren't these like you know sort of needle pinned kind of yeah. um, views of the world. Yeah, you know, like everything is kind of some gradient. It's some Absolutely. gray. It's some area that you're you know you have to accept information from both sides and you know kind of evaluate it yourself. And you don't mm-hmm. want to just write off something as like that's weird. Yeah, like, I don't you know you just write it or off or just have the knee jerk reaction about it. Yeah, I mean that's the whole basis of what this was basically. You know, over the last few years, as a person who's relatively young still and you know maybe not able to have their own opinion or by some people's measure <laughs> <laughs> i i just think like you know nowadays we just have so much so much divisiveness between groups of people by whatever lines they draw in the sand yeah you know be it real boundaries or fake boundaries or well, sometimes it's just about word it's like you word. use the same word that they're arguing about but they don't mean the same right. thing i mean we've all seen like this is going to be a common theme but like the, the facebook arguments over the mm-hmm. most recent election where people who've been friends for years or family members even that are arguing with each other because of some sort of something about po- politics like i don't know like that's like part of this podcast is 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 Getting rid of the the knee jerk reaction of your ex, be, you know, you you're this, I'm not that, so then we hate each other, right? Yeah. And then when you remove that byline and say, who are you as a person? Who am I as a person? And then we talk about it through it. You wind up realizing, wait, oh, we actually do agree on it. It's yeah. just some fine detail here, or like the surface level version of it. That oh, okay, I guess we could actually figure this out together. You yeah, know? Absolutely. And I, and I just think to me, like when you, especially like music, I think is one of those things that you can kind of break cultural barriers mm-hmm. with it. You know? <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I think like one word that I, I like kind of love is summing up like a lot of the arguments that happen on the internet and stuff is socialism. So like when certain <laughs> people say that, they mean Canada. And when other people say that, they mean, like, the Soviet Union right, or, yeah. or something even, like, that's failed even worse. And and so it's – they say, like, they're arguing about the word. Right. And they don't even know they're having, like, a semantic argument mm-hmm. about it. And they think the other person is in a completely different place. But they never get to the point of communicating the ideas, like, yeah. what do you mean by, you know, saying you want that. So you immediately say, oh, they think, you know – that this failed country did a great job <laughs> and they want everyone to get, you know, die of starvation. You know, like, and they don't ever realize that's not what the other person actually mm-hmm. means. Like, you know, yeah. but they, and the same thing, they used to assume the other person's saying like, yeah, you know, we shouldn't have public roads. You know, like, and, <laughs> like so. they, they're, they're taking their own negative view and, yeah. and, and overlaying it onto that other person. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and they're, you know, I, I guess if you think of the, I think it's Daniel Kahneman, the idea of the elephant and the rider. I, the, I haven't heard of that. So the, it's an, basically it's just looking at your consciousness, right? So your 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 subconsciousness is an elephant, right? And so that's your emotional reactivity. That's how you operate at a baser level, right? And then your writer is your your you know your conscious version of yourself. But when the when the elephant gets upset or angry or something, you can't really control it. You can just nudge it in different directions, right? Mm-hmm. So basically that's training. So when someone gets upset, like in a Facebook argument right there, that's their that's their elephant stampeding around. You know, knocking over everything and, you know, saying all these things about someone else. 
because they're just not under control of their own like emotional framing of whatever that is, right? Yeah. So then basically it's people being more aware of what, you know, their surroundings and what their trigger points are, right? You know, not to use trigger warning as, yeah. as, as a thing, but like I think that's like one of my huge things and this is where I've always kind of like, again, why part of this podcast is yes, is just try and bring a nuanced view to the world and be like, hey, think of your psychology as, as a tool, right? Like what are, find out where your points that, you, you know, make you angry and flush in your face. And then when you realize it, sure it's going to be really hard right away, right? Because you know, you already have an idea of what upsets you, right? And then you have to physically be like, oh, I'm upset right now. And then you have to like cool yourself down and be like, why am I getting, like, and then you have to really analyze it. Like it's not easy, right? And then like yeah. just with the social, like just social media in general on the internet, and how these systems give you force feed you things that are already in your worldview yeah to go and find and search things that are out of your worldview and that's why again the podcast is here so that we have this really weird you know broad swath of people that i can that have these differing viewpoints that you can be like oh wait you know because you know the hunter like we were talking about before the podcast like the guy you know there's people out there be like oh my god i don't want to listen to that kind of guy or there's people out here you know i I really want to get other people who are like on the other side of that spectrum you know be able to talk about the animals and why we don't want to do that kind of thing or you know it's just slowly building this more nuanced view of the world and realizing oh it's not x or it's not y it's somewhere in the middle where we come both ways and we shake hands and we say, we're going to figure this out together, right? Yeah. <laughs> I do think that there has been some progress made, uh, that it is getting better, actually, which might not be, other people might not agree with that, but maybe this is also coming from, like, I remember the 19, early 1990s, like, bulletin board culture, which was so much worse. Really? Yeah, just the flame wars and the, like... I've the, heard of flame wars before. <laughs> just the, the <laughs> like, the how explosive and extreme it got immediately, because people didn't understand, you know, the right. concept that someone else might not be coming in with that that uh, that tone. Right. But, and now I, th- I feel like they're... I mean, just that's my view. I feel like people have been making an effort to listen to each other more yeah. rather than less. It's still not a good medium, I don't think, because no. you really can't tell what somebody's saying just with... In the wall of typing. text, you yeah. lose you lose all the emotional you lose everything. Yeah. That's why I think the resurgence of, of audio as a form of community, like these conversations where there's little editing and there's as much um, discourse as possible. It you know it reminds you of like you know the old school philosophers you know debating like mm-hmm. where you have this discourse now and then because of it you get the people you know obviously that are the biggest podcasters right now that kind of are the nexus of all this thing. You've probably heard of the dark web and whatnot mm-hmm. at least a little bit. Yeah, and it, it's just you know. When you start hearing it, it's like, it's just a whole new way of the world's operating, right? Because most of the time, at least for the last 50 to 60 years, you had news media, right? And then the government, and that was about it. Because most people didn't have access to any sort of broadcasting stuff. Yeah. But now you have people like me who are who are in their basement or wherever they are, and they can just record with any interesting person out there who's, you know, now we have people who are well-read enough, on average, that can really talk about these ideas that a higher as at a higher or as high level as anyone who's got any sort of power you know yeah. as deemed by government or some organization right mm-hmm. i mean like someone like you you have like this crazy amount of experience in 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 audio and all that kind of stuff with like just seeing this broad swath of the world of like how things are popular right because yeah. <laughs> it's like that's you're a part of the pop culture of that era in some in some degrees so you got to see it from like a very close but not quite like wrapped yeah. into it, you know, and so it's just it's just interesting to me because, you know, when you when you get people like, I don't know when, 
growing up, it always felt for me like you get, you had to like fall in line in some to some degrees. Like I never felt like I like you get your opinions from your parents or something like that, like politically or something. But I never was like I never thought I never was comfortable until recently saying what my opinions were because yeah. I didn't feel like I had done enough research or d- just knew enough broadly speaking yeah. to be able to talk about it. And then now it's like wait. You know, I, I worked a bit, and I, now I've kind of, like, went to school, and I go to these places, and I, I was telling you, like, what my school's been like lately, not to go, like, to tangent too much, but basically it's, like, you get, like, you realize to a cer- at a certain point that everybody around you, no matter how old or young they are, they're just trying to figure it out, period. Like, just because they're older than you doesn't mean they have some sort of special formula. Like, sure, maybe they have something unlocked in them, mm-hmm. like, just from years of experience, which is great, and I want to tap into that as much as possible, but... That doesn't undervalue your own opinions. Yeah. You know? And that's just kind of what I... Just thinking is because sometimes you need to say... Think outside the box or, or connect things that, you know, seem unrelated. You know, like, I guess for you is that you, you do a really great job of doing that because you, you were able to marry your, your, your love of music and programming together into this, like, form, you know, that is almost undistinguishable from the, se- like the, from the separate parts. Like, it's just fits right together and most people wouldn't even think of that as being a viable option right mm-hmm. and that's a unique skill to have to be able to go in and be like I want to do music and I want to do software and somehow you you know you just try both and then it just works yeah. you know and that's and I think the more people start realizing that that's a possibility in their own life that they can do X and they can do Y and do them at the same time to f- create this new job or this new world that they that you know, people around them aren't going to say, oh, that exists, right? Because mm-hmm. there's going to be so much pushback. Like, you can't do both, right? Yeah. You, you probably got that, I'm assuming. Um, Maybe I, to some degree. Luckily, I got most of the people I've associated with in life have been from, like, the art community. Okay. And they've been people who have been just very much interested in kind of, like, navigating between the lines okay. and being yourself, you know? But yeah, but I, guess I definitely understand that, that concept <laughs> yeah. Yeah, of, of, like, being like, what is this? Is this this? Or is it yeah. this? You know? I mean, that's always been my struggle in general is because I picked... The reason I picked engineering and specifically electrical engineering is it's for me, it was like, like I didn't want to pigeonhole myself in any way. I was like, oh, cool, I can do electrical engineering, and that means I can do, you know, I can just pick a job in like any of these yeah. broad-ranging fields, and I can find a work, you know, at some point. But, like, for me, it's just, like, especially with the way my life's gone in the last few, like, four years or so, I was just like, I want to be a little bit of everything <laughs> to some degree, like, you know, and that's where this, like, again, I'm gonna, it's a common theme of just constantly learning about everything, mm-hmm. you know, it's like once I feel like I have proficiency in somewhere else, then it opens the door to some new avenue in some way, mm-hmm. so. So, like, yet another thing that I've noticed about people who have different beliefs mm-hmm. and, and, you know, have these differing opinions is... Obviously, like part of it is you know what the the background that you have, what your mm-hmm. you know where you grew up, the you know the type of things that you were exposed to when you were younger, and then you know a general cultural things, mm-hmm. and, you know all these factors that that go into that. But one of them that I don't think people talk about a lot because it kind of starts like broaching this this delicate subject that that people are still a bit hesitant to talk about, but is just brain chemicals. Yeah, your brain chemistry. What? How do you react to the same situation? Mm-hmm. You know, so different people react differently to the exact same situation. Um, and so for me, like personally, like I've I've had bipolar disorder and I've had the effects of it my whole life. I think mm-hmm. it was like all the symptoms were there from when I was three or four. Wow, almost really? like the childhood versions of the symptoms, how they okay. present. The, just the manifestation yeah. of those. Yeah. So like they were 
it was really obvious that I had that, but it was still at that point in the eighties was not like a very Oh, okay. I see. What you I mean? didn't talk about it really right, that yeah. much, and you didn't seek treatment for it. It was, it was, you know, kind of psychiatrists and medication were for people who had like severe schizophrenia. You okay. Know? So there still was this very much like, no, just get your shit together. Like, yeah. why are you sad? Why Pull are you, you know, up like, why are you? Yeah. And um. And it was um. It was really interesting. I guess going through, I didn't get treated until I was like in the middle of high school. I started oh, seeking wow. treatment for it, um, and. One of the first treatments that I had was uh, was Zoloft, which is a, an SSRI, a selective mm-hmm. serotonin reuptake inhibitor, and uh, I did have like a very profound response to that immediately, like very shortly, um, partially because of like my specific personal metabolism, but also just uh, you know I think just good luck for the specific symptoms and chemicals that were out of balance. It had this like very very profound effect, and. Uh, it, it then stopped after a certain point and stopped working very oh, wow. quickly, actually. And then I started getting a lot of side effects. Like, I missed, like, almost the entire, like, senior year of high school from being mm-hmm. sick, like, from different medications. Wow. And, and it was also complicated because there was this doctor who, like, prescribed me something I was, like, severely allergic to without knowing that that's what it was made of. And it was with the combination of the psychotropic drugs, like, had this yeah. disastrous sort of effect. But um, <laughs> it was... Um, it was really interesting, though, like suddenly being given a different brain. Mm-hmm. You know, and each medication kind of fixed certain things and not others. And I, mm-hmm. I do feel like actually right now I'm on finally the correct one, which I'll get to like in a little bit, which kind of has to do with misdiagnosis and not understanding just brain chemistry in general. But right, yeah, but each one of these different things would, um, I would definitely feel like my natural response to the same thing was totally different because I would assume other people were feeling the same as me. Even if, like, right. I remember how I used to respond, <laughs> I still, like, couldn't understand why would you respond that way? Mm. Like, why, in this situation, why would you do that? Like, okay. why, you know... So, so much of it is not even, I don't think, just cognitive function, you know, reaching these, you know, conclusions or experience. It, I think a lot of it is just biology. You know, like, how you feel. You know, again, there were definitely different points when I felt like being more religious because I, like, I needed an answer, you know, like, to the, the... It couldn't be nothing. I was, like, scared to death, like, you know, of nothingness. Wow. You know, on certain medications. Yeah. And then I'd go off of them, and then I'd be like, well, no, that's fine. And I'd kind of just understand, like, well, if, you know, if there's nothing after you die, you know, I'm not going to be around to know that there's nothing after you die, so it'll be fine. Like, You're and, able to rationalize it completely differently. Yeah. It was just... It wasn't... There was no, f- like, fear. I had, like, a lot of fear and lack mm-hmm. of fear with different medications. But they, they also they prompted different ideologies and different sort of, like, theologies, too. Um, and I thought that was, like, really interesting. That's that, a really weird... I would never have expected that to be, a, like, a side effect of it. Well, yeah, and then <laughs> not only that, like, some of them were, like, I really wanted, like, a spirituality, like, a more, you know, sort of, like, Buddhist, you know, or, yeah. or modern sort of outlook on something. And it was really important to me to, to feel like I had, like... Uh, you know, some connection to other people, like this communal, yeah, Carl Jung, you know, sort of, uh, you know, thing, <laughs> like a tribal type, yeah, um, and that it was all part of this, yeah, I don't know, just this abstract um, unity, and and then other times I like the opposite of that. I wanted to, like, I felt, I think the worst, like when I was doing the worst, I felt like this sort of OCD quality of like wanting rules and regulations, like. You sort of. I always talk about this as like the like the Harry Potter version of religion, where it's like you want to know what um, 
like what the spells are that do the thing. What are the details? Like what okay. are the precise details? You know that mm-hmm. that allow certain things to happen. And like Thomas Aquinas was one of the first people who came up with these like very rigid sort of rules for the Catholic Church. Yeah. You know, going forward. And like I wanted to know like well how many rosaries is it that you have to say to do this in Catholicism? Oh, wow. Even if I didn't want to do it or even if I didn't believe in Catholicism, I still like was just I felt this urge to find out specifics. You know, and then when I would, and that was usually when I was doing worse, I like needed those specifics. And then when I do better, I was just like, everything was abstract and kind of a, in a gradient, and you know, you none of that matters, and you should just try to be a good person and right. you know, and find meaning in life for, you know, what you have. Um, but I think having those experiences was was like a tremendous of tremendous value to me for yeah. understanding other people. Um, combined with a couple other experiences, like I had, I've had amnesia a few times, like very intense amnesia from for the very side short, effects. No, from passing out actually. Oh, okay. Because I have like really low blood pressure for some reason, and like if I I, use, I don't get this anymore, but if I used to stand up, I'd go like completely out. Oh, okay. But when I come to for maybe about a minute, it's like a good sixty seconds, I'd have no idea where you were or anything like that. Anything, I wouldn't recognize like family members. Oh, nothing. wow. And it was long enough where like I kind of I remember the experiences and remember what was still a constant. Mm-hmm. You know, in in my body, in my brain, and you know, and what wasn't, you know, and and I still felt like partially like me. I wanted to, I felt good. I didn't, I you know, like I wanted to do good things. You know, I wanted to be friendly to these people I didn't know. Right. I was apologetic to them. I'm sorry <laughs> for passing out. You know, but I didn't know who they, I didn't know it was my dad. You know, right. who was next to me. Wow. So like, it was interesting because I did, and it's it, that's hard to kind of articulate in a specific way what I what was there and what wasn't. But right. Um, but yeah, it's um. It, that was interesting and then also going in like general anesthetic for surgery was mm-hmm. also really interesting where you realize kind of like it's just this snap and the yeah. time has elapsed but you didn't feel it that, that's it, what I just had my wisdom teeth removed so oh yeah it, the first time I ever was put under and it was just kind of like they just put the thing on my face and all of a sudden I was waking up like super groggy yeah. and then I was like done you know when so much can happen to like when I had my wisdom tooth surgery I, I finished it and I was like I had like some ble- like my nose was bleeding and like mm-hmm. it was there was some like weird sort of I didn't feel good and it was in a way I thought I, that I didn't expect and then the next day I had all these bruises along my sternum mm-hmm. and you know they tell like because of the nature of dental surgery like you're supposed to be really worried about having like a spleen infection or blood infection oh. or something because there's so much like bacteria oh, yeah. in mm-hmm. your mouth that you there's no way you can get rid of it everybody has mm-hmm. it but if they're cutting into it that can get into your blood right yeah so I was, I was, like, concerned. I was, like, well, that's not where my spleen is. But they said, like, if you feel any pain in your chest, you know, call them up. So I called them up, and, you know, I described that, and the, the nurse who answered the phone was, like, I don't, I don't know. Let me talk to the, to the surgeon, though. And I was on hold, like, forever. And when she came back, she's like, oh, well, actually, um, the reason for that is because we had to do uh, CPR on you. Whoa. I was like, what? And it was like that, you know, I had no awareness of that. I was yeah. out. But she was like, yeah, it's, um, we were relatively confident, like, we didn't break any ribs, but you'll certainly have, like, uh, bruising and yeah. pain. I was like, oh, okay. Like, it was just such a, you know, it wow, was like. Wow, that's crazy. I was like that close to dying, too, during that process. I had no idea. You know, so all this stuff happened when I was out, and. You, would, you just woke up like nothing ever happened. Yeah, and had I died, you know, in that process, like, I wouldn't have known, you know, just right, I wouldn't yeah. have. You know, I just that would be it. Like I also find it kind of funny, like that, the concept that like if you if you don't believe in any afterlife, at least that you cannot have died, you cannot be in a state where you've died already, right? Because you don't yeah. you don't exist, so that state does not exist where you've died. <laughs> you can only be right up to the point of death, and then there is no more state. You know, yeah. anything. So, 
So I'm I'm, I'm fascinated by that. That's an interesting you know, too. concept. <laughs> but um, but yeah, just I think like navigating the general. I mean, I and again, like I'd say, kind of with the conversations on the internet getting better and better. I do feel like there's a tremendous amount of uh, visibility for mental illness and for talking about it and for understanding that different people are going through very different things. They're very like we're talking. They have different learning styles, different metabolisms different, you know, uh, backgrounds, upbringings, all these things that are not their fault or through actions that they've taken. Right, yeah. They have all these different things, and and to, like, expect somebody else to have the same response to a situation that you were fine with, you know, is, you know, is something you really, I mean, you can't understand what they're going through, but you need to know that you can't understand it. Yeah, they're they're not you, basically. (laughs) And, like, there's certain things like those game jams. Some people are like, oh, isn't that terrifying to to have, like, that type of a schedule? And it's like, no, I love it. I love, like, public speaking, too. I'm not scared of that at all, and I'm not scared of death, and I'm not scared of all these different things that other people are, but then there's things that are absolutely, like, terrifying to me. You know, I remember there was one medication I was on where I was only on this for just a very brief amount of time, but I went, like, nuts. Like, I I thought that... um, like, I was sure there was going to be, like, a solar flare that was going to knock oh out, like, God. the power grid. Like, imminently. You, I bought all this, like, water purification stuff. You and turned like, into a... What, what are the... I forget what the name of them are, but... Yeah. Well, I, and I, I'm not making fun of those people. No, but I, I know, just, but it's funny. That I, um, <laughs> I suddenly... It was all I cared about. And I could not shake that. I was like, do you understand, like, the preparation I'm doing now will... A prepper. Will, there we go. <laughs> the what? A prepper. Yeah. <laughs> the, like, the, everything I'm doing now is going to, like, benefit... You know, like, this is the only thing that's going to keep us alive, you know, and, like... I was buying all this stuff and so worried and reading about, you know, the, you know, news and, uh, you know, like all these conspiracy theories and, like, I had to get it's off of so that, like, right away. And then as soon as I was off it, I was like, well, I guess I got, like, water, you know, purifiers for the sink. But, like, I just didn't care. <laughs> you know, like, I just used them and, like, went on with life. That's but, so weird. Yeah, it was, it was, it's all chemicals. Yeah. You know, and then kind of going, I was mentioning that, you know, like, I was on a lot of different medications and they were never quite right and... This very strange experience happened, actually, just, like, the beginning of this year. I was on, um, I was talking to somebody on on Facebook, and there's these things that have happened to me since I was a little kid that I know very intimately, but that I always thought this was what people meant when they said the word dizzy. And I didn't realize that when everyone else says dizzy, they mean something that I now, today, know what that means. But up until this year, I thought it meant this other thing, which, as, as I describe it, you're going to say, why did you think that was dizzy? <laughs> but you just grow up with that, and I just thought everybody f- had these. Mm-hmm. I suddenly, like, will be sitting there, and the first thing that happens is all the lighting changes. The contrast, like, it looks like you drag, like, a contrast slider in mm-hmm. Photoshop. The, the contrast changes, it gets more intense. Um, so the bright stuff is totally bright and everything else is black. You know, like, so the lighting changes. Suddenly I feel the gravity shift. Well, like, I feel always like, a, like, first I feel like the left side of my body is heavier than the right side. I have, like, the incredible urge to look up to the right, like in the upper right. I feel like I'm floating upside down, sort of like, the, like I feel like I'm upside down and floating. Like, I always feel like the ceiling is the floor. Well. And then... Uh, and sometimes it stops at that and then comes back, but other times it, it then gets, progresses more. And what happens is, like, the, the walls, like, that I'm looking at, like, the background gets really far away. And it looks exactly, I can, like, objectively describe this in the most effective way. It is exactly like this thing that they do in filmmaking called a dolly zoom. So you, like, it's, you probably know it from, like, Jaws when he sees on the beach and oh, he sees okay. the shark. Yeah. You roll the camera, like, you zoom in on the, the subject... 
and you roll the camera towards them while zooming out. So oh, they okay. stay the same size, but the focal length is changing. Yeah. So it looks like the background gets real far away, mm -hmm. and they're, sta they're staying still. So the foreground stays there, and then suddenly everything gets real far away from me. And I just thought this was like a normal thing, and this happened to me when I was a kid, and um, when I and I later found out that this is actually normal. When it happens to a child, their brain doesn't know what to do with it, and they start hallucinating. So I, I would have these like horrifying hallucinations when this would happen, and it was always upper right, something coming down towards me. When the, the walls would get further away, there'd be a hallucination of something that would be coming wow. towards me. And it was actually, this is like kind of embarrassing and stupid. It was always the number 10. <laughs> and that's like a joke in my family. They, they joked my whole life that the number 10 was coming after me. Um, which, as an engineer, it kind of sucks because I wish it was like 16 or you know, something. <laughs> like something that made more sense. Um, but, uh, but it was like, you know, it was always the number 10 coming after me and I'd scream. And they went, they took me to a doctor and he was just like, oh, it's like the sleep, the dreaming chemical doesn't turn off. You know, or it actually he naps and it, he starts dreaming, but oh, it doesn't turn okay. off. That was the explanation. Like an overabundance and, of it. Yeah, of? just some like there's like there's all these chemicals. Like as soon as you wake up, there's all these chemicals that suddenly, you know, are released that, right, that yeah. give you this like they turn off all the sleep stuff. They turn off you know like the sleep paralysis, like all your muscles. Right, yeah. You gain control over them. You gain control over your breathing. All this stuff happens in the moment when you wake up. So they were just like, oh, some of those aren't shutting off. So this happened to me at the very beginning of this year, and I was typing to somebody, and I've never been typing to anybody while this has happened. So I was describe I was telling them, oh man, it's these weird things happen to me and I don't know if they happen to everyone else, but I get really dizzy and uh, and I was describing it and for whatever reason, anytime this has ever happened, I feel like the intense urge to not tell anybody mm -hmm. after it's happened. But I was kind of typing through it, and it was like it felt like I was like typing through a tunnel. Yeah, because you're like <laughs> it was just like not even visually, but like I was trying to send communication to someone. I couldn't read what they were saying and I was trying to send info about it. And for the first time when it ended, these only last maybe 60 seconds or oh, so. Oh, wow, okay. Um, maybe even last like 30 seconds, a lot of them, I think. Um, when I finished, I had like this whole thing I typed. That was a, a new experience, a new version of it. And they were the other person was saying, that's, that's not normal. Like, this isn't a thing that <laughs> happens to people. So I started typing in, I think like back, uh, back, background gets far away, dizzy mm -hmm. or something. And immediately this thing popped up called uh, Alice in Wonderland Syndrome, which is the actual name for oh, it. Oh, wow. And um, it's like a very well-documented thing, and there's a few different causes of it, but one of the primary ones is temporal lobe epilepsy. So you in temporal lobe epilepsy, it's not like when you have like a petite mal or grand mal seizure from you know photosensitive epilepsy mm -hmm. or something. You're fully awake when you have the seizure. They're called focal-aware seizures. So I was like... Hmm. And I was reading up on temporal lobe epilepsy, and it, it has all the symptoms of bipolar disorder. When you oh, have the seizures really? and stuff, they, they change your brain chemistry, and they, they change it in the same way that having bipolar disorder. You get mm -hmm. depression, you get suicidal, you, right. get, you sometimes have anxiety. You have all, it's, like, identical. And two or three psychiatrists I had seen earlier in life had said it seems more like temporal lobe epilepsy than... Than, um, than bipolar disorder. And I did get tested for photosensitive epilepsy. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I didn't, I mean, really the only way you can get tested for epilepsy is if it happens while they're testing. Right, they yeah. The EEG hooked up and do you have a seizure, yes or no? They can't say <laughs> that you don't have it. Yeah. They can just say that they weren't able to say that you do have it. So, and then they, one of them really was confident about it and he wanted to put me on this anti-seizure medication. And I tried it and I... I had like a terrible experience with it. Tons oh, wow. of side effects and mm -hmm. and reactions, and um, I got especially I got like super super sleepy. I couldn't stay awake. Mm -hmm. Like I, 
It was a nightmare. Um, and after this happened this year, when I was reading about that, it was saying I was reading up more on it. It was saying that that for those specific symptoms and for temporal lobe epilepsy, there's one drug that is like the preferred or the most successful drug mm-hmm. for that, and it's also used to treat bipolar disorder. Um, it like does the same thing somehow. It's an anti-epileptic, but it's used for bipolar disorder. That's interesting. And it was the one that I had been put on mm-hmm. that that I had the terrible side effects from. And I was reading it doesn't actually become effective for like a you know like three or four weeks. Oh, okay. At, at minimum, it's like a loading dose kind of thing. I'm not. I'm not sure. Not even. To be honest, know, like yeah. I don't know why. What part of your body doesn't start being effective? So I was talking to the. Uh, I actually see a psychiatric nurse practitioner now, which mm-hmm. I actually have enjoyed much better than seeing a psychiatrist, but which is a different story, but, um, but <laughs> I you? mentioned that and, and she was like, well, yeah, that was actually, you know, something that I thought was more specific to your symptoms. So I went on that and like, I had terrible side effects. Like, Again. you know, I was like falling asleep, standing up wow. and like, I felt terrible, just physically terrible. And, you know, it was almost like non-functional. Like I mm-hmm. just, I just, I'm trying to remember what some of the symptoms were. I'm going to like block them out of my memory right yeah I bet but I just remember being in a very bad place but I like wanted to get through it and they said like the symptoms go away after you know some amount of time that's like between 30 days and a year well, and I was like, well, I really can't t- lose like a year. <laughs> that's to a huge range of. But, you know, saying most people, it's like around 60 days. So okay. I was like, you know what? I, I just want if this is like actually going to fix this, like I want to try it. And right. I just sort of gutted through it. It was like really difficult. Um, and I, I just stuck with it. And sometime around, I want to say like maybe 70 or 80 days. And this happened overnight. I suddenly, I was sleeping and like at like 6 a.m. I heard somebody call my name and like I woke up and I said like, what? You know, and there was nobody there. Like it was just, I heard my name and I suddenly had like twice the energy that I've ever had in my life. Like I never wake up without an alarm clock that early. Like I just, I like woke up, I had a ton of energy early in the day and then the energy sort of like stayed steady through the day and then I got sleepy at night and none of those things have ever happened. Whenever I've woken up before I have no energy and it linearly goes up to the end of the day when at like 10 p.m. I feel like I could just like start jogging around the block and I have like infinite energy Mm -hmm. and I can't go to sleep because it's just, it's inversely proportional to the time of the day. Yeah. And for the first time I had more energy in the morning and it kind of tapered off just at night, but it was generally even for the whole day. And I had all these different sort of like life motivations and things. I wanted to fix things in my life. I wanted to like, you know, make, you know, dentist appointments that I'd been kind of putting off. All this stuff was not scary. And I felt like motivated and I felt um, really like kind of like I've never, it's never any of these medications have ever had this like specifically only exclusively positive result in that extreme. Um, and I actually like still almost every day wake up to somebody calling my name, which has never happened before in my life. But like reading up on it, that's not like an auditory hallucination that is of your own name is actually not considered a serious one because okay. like you, you so strongly associate when somebody calls your name, becoming attentive to them, like yeah. suddenly attention is there yeah. and you're present and you exist and they've said your name, you have an identity, you're right there. Yeah. So like when you get like the sudden like chemical that wakes you up when something has woken you up whether it's just a tiny creek or you know something yeah whatever it sometimes is. your body does it the other way like they think they associate that feeling of becoming attent and conscious and aware so mm-hmm. strongly with your being called you know when your name is called yeah that does it the other way and you hear your name like and as long as it's your name it's not a concern that's like the rule that i read up on the internet yeah about. so if, like with something else that would be like, a, like yeah a if, it, if it's a voice telling you to do stuff or, yeah like, or, like, or whispering things or, yeah, well, yeah. Just the other end of the spectrum where it's, like, yeah. something terrifying, basically, then that would be 
something to be caused alarm, but yeah, no, absolutely. So like it's I've never actually been diagnosed with uh, epilepsy, and I kind of like to not be for a number right. of reasons yeah. um, officially. But since but since like there's a medication that's used to treat both, and it works perfectly, and those spells stopped happening. They were happening. They happened like pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. Those completely stopped. Wow. For I mean, I, I've never gone more than a month without having one, and it's been eight months now, and since I haven't had one. Yeah, wow. I mean, I don't even get that sense of dizziness. That's crazy. So, so yeah, but there's just so much you, that they have no idea where to. They just sort of. I mean, it really is like they. It's it's this guessing game where they it's try to look the at dark. your symptoms. Yeah, yeah. And so many things are like piled under. Like they know that. You know, or like schizophrenia, for example, is not a condition. It's like a ton of conditions that all result in sort of similar behaviors, like but not exactly. And, yeah, but they're unrelated. The like the where they they stem from in the brain, and same with like a lot of things. Just get I was always labeled uh, bipolar two atypical, which is sort of like the catch-all for things oh, that result okay. in that. And it's a bunch of different things, and it's not only that different medications work for different people because of their metabolisms. That's true. But it's also just that they don't really know what it is you have. It's not a precise thing. And they're, wow. you know, they're doing more and more research where they're figuring out kind of, you know, doing like spec scans and different things in the brain and figuring out, you know, what, what is the actual thing that's going on yeah. here. But I think it's really important to talk about that stuff the same way I think it's important to talk about different learning styles, all the other things right, yeah. know, that make us unique. It's important to talk about that and to, it's hard to embrace something that's literally just wrong with you. Um, but it is something you have to acknowledge and well, navigate. And, and it's subjective, right? Cause yeah. Because, like, for you, like, you explaining it to me, I have no frame of reference to what it actually felt like for you, right? Yeah. You can hear, like, you can I, kind of remember, I, hear what I, I'm saying. I'm hearing yeah. what you're saying, and I'm kind of like, okay, I can, I can understand visually what that would mean, but I have no, you know, frame of reference of, like, what that actually means to go through it, right? The yeah. actual experience of it. And I think, you know, going forward, like, we're going to have this kind of like medicine these needs to start happening right where we need to because the brain is basically the next big frontier outside of going to mars right because we we know so much about the human body now and how the, like the biomechanisms of it work but the brain is still a huge mystery right we mm-hmm. all we all thought like you know you'd map certain things and you start being able to unlock potentials and things but we really don't know the inner me- mechanisms of it work and then on top of that the biochemistry that's involved when, with all these neurotransmitters and things like that and you know, I don't even have any room to speak on it because I'm not a neuroscientist, but it just it's just one of these things that you, you realize just how much we don't really know, right? Mm-hmm. And, and it's scary for the people that like you who have to go through it the hard way, right? And to try all these medications you said in the email, I think seventeen years of Yeah. On and off different yeah. different things just to try and find it work, you know, it that's got to be exhausting. It is. I can just imagine, like, you know, th- I can imagine now the relief that you have for it, that something finally works. Yeah, and but I'm not, like, depend. I'm not, like, confident that it's going to work forever. Right, you know, yeah, you, you have to know. just, like, I'm going to, as long as it is working, I'm moving forward, enjoying life, you know, and doing things that matter to me, but, you know, it, that may change. I hope it doesn't, but it Right, may, you, know. you don't know. And that's just crazy to me, because, like, you know, when you think about it, how just how much of your personality changes with it and everything like that, and like it changes your core functionality almost of like what you, what your like core principal beliefs are. You mm-hmm. know, when you say you become more religious and things, it's crazy to me to think that. Because yeah. I I can go to sleep tonight and I can wake up tomorrow and I can be pretty pretty sure what I'm going to value tomorrow morning. Yeah. Right. And then for you to take something and it, all of a sudden you just take a supreme left turn in your trajectory. Yeah. That's I can't even fathom what that must feel like. Plus, just like you know. 
then you switch a medication a month or two down the road and all of a sudden you're like, well, now I got to go piece something back together because I don't want to do that anymore. Like, yeah, that's just crazy. And you'd think it would give give you like a tremendous sense of understanding that different people are different. And it kind mm-hmm. of almost even doesn't. Like, you know that you felt differently, but you kind of think like, oh, that was stupid. And, you know, you so don't you value still, it anymore. Yeah. You just think like, how could I have felt that way? You know, and you, you don't. You don't like kind a disassociate. Maybe it's it's just still a conscious effort to understand that people who are even doing how you used to do are different, mm-hmm. and you, they need different accommodations and different, you know, uh, different paths through yeah. life. And like one thing you guys that your friend Joe was talking about in one of the previous podcasts, mm-hmm. yeah, I forget honestly, I forget which uh, philosopher was saying this, but they were saying that like if um, I think a bunch have said this, but like if if you're gonna die, you know, like. If you're gonna die eventually, and if life is suffering, like why don't you just kill yourself? Yeah, you know that must have been like Victor Frankl or one of the yeah those guys that went into the deep depression. Yeah, writings and and it's and so many things that kind of have to do with that. Um, the that pragmatic tr- approach. Yeah, the pragmatic, like the 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 down negative side of existentialism. Right, like the yeah. version of existentialism that's just like horribly depressing. Right, <laughs> like. Like, yeah, there's points in my life where that resonated so much. That was like, well, yeah, life is sort of just suffering. So, like, why, why like, why have more game? of it? Yeah, yeah, why make more of it? You know, it's just... And and then suddenly, when, when you have different brain chemicals, that's, like, the most alienating... That's, like, the opposite of mm-hmm. how I feel. You know, like, I want to... Like, there's so many exciting things, so many opportunities, so many ways to participate in, like, the universe that right, you're a yeah. part of, you know? Um I was listening to Neil deGrasse Tyson saying, like, that's the most spectacular thing is that, like, you're not small in the universe necessarily. You're just a part of it. Like, you're made of a million tiny, many more than a million, you know, a million tiny particles that were part of stars that exploded and stuff. Millions and and millions of years ago. Yeah. And the greatest experience you can have is is participating in Mm -hmm. this this universe. And it's so amazing that, like you're part of something that's a conscious being that's operating yeah. you know, like with what we think is free will or, you know, and you can do things that you, you know, that yeah. you love and, and change the world in some way. And, and, um, and that's like really just like what, you know, what drives me during those periods of time, you know, like mm-hmm. right now and all the times I've been doing really good has just been like wanting to t- participate in that, yeah. but it's a totally different philosophy. It's just right. a totally, um, unrelatable philosophy. I'd even say. Yeah. So, so I think... It's on the other end of the spectrum, yeah, basically. it's completely opposite. So <laughs> I don't think all those things, like, when people arrive at these conclusions, I don't think that it's necessarily just due to, like, the cognitive process that brings you to that, like, mm-hmm. a logical conclusion. Like, I don't think certain people can reach that conclusion no matter how much they, you know, embrace the the actual logic that goes into it. Mm-hmm. It's just not going to, like, there's, if you're doing well mentally and if things are functioning as they should, like, you don't have a drive to end your life. Yeah. Like, there's no reason evolutionarily why you should have a drive to end your life. Like, clearly the things that survived wanted to survive. It's really funny that you say that. I was just listening to a podcast with uh, a medical doctor, and he was, like, the lead scientist on suicide research back Mm -hmm. in the, I think, 80s. And that's that's what he, one of the points he said. He's like, biologically speaking, no animal should have... Have that in it, Any yeah. sort of drives to end its own life. Just because it goes against everything that, the, you know, the, the survival of the fittest says, mm-hmm. right? Because if the organism ends its own life before it can reproduce, then that just goes, it just, it just violates laws of life, basically, right? Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting to think about that, what, what makes something, someone, you know, end their own life in that way, right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, it's re- is really strange. And the more I think about it and the more I'm, like, exposed to it, the more I'm, like, you know, intrigued by it because I think, you know, I think part of it's because of how it's been, you know, just mispopularized and misrepresented throughout history. I mean, you just go back, you know, not even yeah. super long, long ago, right? In, like, the 60s when they barely, you know, they're doing the, like, lobotomizations of people where they're, you know, and just the names they called it back then, right? I, I can't even remember the the names, but you know what they are. They're very stigmatized, right? Yeah. And they, they call it these these names, and there, there's a reason why people don't like to talk about it because it still carries that baggage forward, and I think it's not going to get better until a point where people are comfortable with talking about their experiences in a way that it can be documented, mm-hmm. and then that and then on top of that, the the sensing equipment that the brain that we can look at the brain in a more cohesive way and say with a greater degree of certainty what is actually happening in people's brains, and then. Other than, like, then on top of that, finding new, maybe not drugs, but some other techniques that aren't just take these neurotransmitters or whatever the drugs are doing. Because, like, right now I feel like the, the drugs that we have are just kind of like, you know, they, they bathe the entire brain, you know, and then they, they blanket everything and change, like you say, like for you, they change your entire core personality. And what we need is more targeted things where it's mm-hmm. like we just need to fix this one part of it, not the whole thing because yeah. everything else is fine, but... It just needs this one thing is not working like it needs to be. Right. And I think once, you know, who knows what that's going to be. Right. You know, there's there seems like there's some stuff that's coming up in the woodwork now with real science behind it. That seems like it might be working in the form of like psychedelics and things like that. But we it's too early to say. Right. Mm -hmm. And with what degree to certainty does that help for the, you know, general population. Right. Yeah. Because from right now, the, the the the. the research groups are very specific and tailored to, to prove that it's safe, right? Mm-hmm. That's the important thing. And I, I just think, too, that with side effects, like the ones you were describing, I mean, I, I know from, from friends that have taken stuff like that, too, and I know exactly what it, it's like to go through that stuff, and it's definitely not fun, and I don't wish it on anyone. Yeah. And... Yeah, getting treatment is not, is not really fun. <laughs> I mean, any part of it is very difficult. It's very, I mean, uh, just incredibly strenuous on your just psyche mm-hmm, yeah um, but another thing when you're saying new techniques i think a really important one going forward which has to do with the making this a more visible thing and talking about it is what the process of getting better is even like yes um and and there's a lot of new support groups like there's one that i used to do uh talks for uh called nami the national alliance for mental illness and they've got chapters like all over so if there is somebody that's looking for a way to navigate starting treatment or dealing with treatment or, you know, anything to do with that, you know, uh, NAMI is the name of the organization and they can, you know, provide a tremendous amount of resources and kind of walk you through Mm -hmm. what to expect and what to do. But there's, there's still not like a general sense of like, what is treatment like? Right. Yeah. Um, there was like there was a rock band I was in that one of the the, the guy who was writing lyrics for the band had like a, a lyric about uh, get going to therapy and I think it was like <laughs> after several years of, of therapy and books hell bent on curing me I think that I can safely say that this will take longer than a day <laughs> but it takes you years to realize it's not going to take a day is yeah. the, the thing but I mean so many people are approach it too like I used to give talks for Nami and like I'd always say this this was like an analogy I came up with on the spot but it's perfect um, is that when you're, you know, like, let's say you, you think about the quality of your life as, like, you know, the, a year cycle, the four seasons. Like, let's say you're in winter and you want to get back to summer. Right. You know, like, so you, you were in summer, then it went through a fall, and then you're, you're in, in winter, winter and it's terrible. 
So people are constantly looking how to reverse time and go back to summer. Oh. But obviously the solution is... Go forward. Yes. <laughs> so like you go forward. It's a new one. It's right. a different... It's summer for the next year. It's not going to be like the last summer, but it's going to be something new and something different. You're going to be a different mm. person, and you can achieve the same amount of happiness, but it's not going to be maybe even that similar to what it was before. Mm-hmm. You know? So you need to have that kind of... You need to let go of what life was... Yeah. And, and learn about all these new things that you have to, you know, embrace and adopt. The same way it's like, everything else we were talking about. It's like about. being reborn in some ways. Mm-hmm. And you, but you, you're reborn with accommodations that are uniquely tailored to you. You start yes. looking out for, you know, your own, you know, well-being, really. Yeah. And before that, you were stuck in this sort of, I don't want to tell anybody that I'm different. You know, like, I don't mm-hmm. want to say that, like, I'm weak and that, you know, that these, these very tiny things are impossible tasks where I can't right. do the time, the smallest things. Cause I'm like, how pathetic is that? You know? Yeah. Well, I think, I think realistically that we all deal with some sort of form of mental illness in whatever way, maybe it doesn't manifest itself in, you know, in a clinically diagnosed form of it, mm-hmm. but we all have these things that are part of us, right? Yeah. That, that we picked up from childhood for some reason or another. Right. I mean, there's a reason type A people have that high functioning drive to be the best at something. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a reason for it. And, and it's rewarded in society because of just, you know, the American culture, right? But that's not to say it's it's healthy at all times, but it's still something that you have to manage, right? You, you have to realize you can't be the best all the time kind of thing, right? And, the, you know, going back to what you were saying is, like, just because, you know, your version sounds worse than someone else's version, it doesn't mean that you both, you know, when you start realizing and talking about these in a nuanced way, you're like, oh, wow, I do kind of feel that way sometimes right Mm -hmm. maybe it's not as terrible like i'm saying but i think once you just start being open about it and being like honest with those around you and and not being ashamed of it because of who you are it it makes it more palatable for everybody involved because then you feel more connected right and i think i think right now especially most people feel there's a massive disconnect from your neighbors in general like oh yeah for sure just in people around you right i mean i think that's one of what this you know, when you start hearing about people, you're like, damn, you know, you're like, you're just like, your heart goes out to these people when you hear their stories, right? Because mm-hmm. you're, you're able to, to understand them on a fundamentally different level than you would otherwise. And you, and then you start listening, like, you know, if, you know, for you, that's your story, but how many other countless people are going oh, yeah. through that exact same story, right? Mm-hmm. And I, 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 my heart goes out to those kind of people that are dealing with it right now. Yeah. And I hope to God that they can find help with some from somebody, right? Yeah. You know, even if it's just telling a friend or, or your mom or calling on the phone or writing a something about it, right? Because there's someone out there, you know, if there's one person that likes the same thing you do, there's also one person that's going through something similar that you've gone through, yeah. right? And you can find help and someone will listen to you, period. Yeah. And I think <laughs> one of the, a really important thing is to... Address it kind of openly and without like hesitation. Address like the elephant in the room. Like for, yeah. for a lot of anything, really kind of even in that vein of like something wrong. Like, I mean, like I met, you know, like I, I said even when I got here today, like oh my my hands shake. Yeah, I you know. know. That was, like I'm not super nervous. Like I have a neurological disorder. And yeah. You're like yeah, you already told me in school. And I was like mm-hmm. oh okay. Yeah. Like but I just kind of say that because people are like you know they're, they're, it's just your brain just run they're like why are their hands shaking? Yeah, they're, they're trying like, to figure it out for themselves. Yeah, and when you sort of hide stuff and someone knows something's wrong and you know you don't want to say it and granted you're not you're not obliged to say it. You know it's it is your right to keep it private if that's how you'd like to deal with it but my personal advice is like every time you go out you you know you put yourself out there and you say it you take a chance you know revealing you know like i've mm-hmm. got you know bipolar disorder you know like i've also you know been through that experience mm-hmm. that you've been through 
like almost every time someone says, yeah, yeah, I also have bipolar disorder. Or, like, or, yeah. Some, or, yeah, my or they know someone, right? Yeah, they know someone very close. And it's suddenly, you know, you thought this whole time that like they were not going to understand. And I, once or twice somebody hasn't quite gotten it. Almost every time somebody's got, you know, understood. Yeah. Um, but also, I guess like on, on the flip side of everything I've been saying, <laughs> since we're talking about something that's so incredibly important and... Uh, not only sensitive, but also uh, dangerous in so many ways. I am not a mental health professional. and well, Of course, yeah. Yeah, obviously, I'm not, to be honest, I'm not really qualified to talk about anything that I've said in this entire podcast. That's just really my opinion. You're, but, well, you're just giving your experience. Yeah, your, I'm just saying, experience yeah, my, but really any fact I've cited is, is not necessarily, uh, you know, citable like a Wikipedia uh, citation. Yeah. But, but we're not doctors definitely and don't go, pretend to be yeah, one on the internet. Definitely seek, like, actual help. I mean, like I said, you know, the National Alliance for Mental Illness can help put you in the hands of a mental health professional. They don't mm-hmm. treat anything or oh, start good. the treatment. That's very good. Yeah, they just have the resources for all the programs, like the government programs that can help you, you know, like mm-hmm. get, get you know, uh, free mental health services through the county or whatever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that's just a really great way to get in the hands of somebody who is qualified to take care of you, you know. And yeah. whatever those people say is, you know, kind of much, much more, you know, uh, I think is safe than any recommendations yeah. I've made. But hopefully... The, the things I've talked about today uh, in any of these subjects have given at least somebody some alternate viewpoint That's of awesome. something, even if it's that they want to say that they totally disagree and now <laughs> they understand why they totally disagree or that it's something to consider in some yeah. capacity, you know, because the things I heard in the other episodes were all things that honestly were, you know, actually like pretty profound to hear, <laughs> you know, like about these diff- different people's lives and, and understanding mm-hmm what goes into to these lives mm-hmm. and, and that's I think one of the best things about about this uh, about feeding curiosity is is that uh, that opportunity to show that many different people mm-hmm. and the way that you kind of embrace people to be sort of honest about their differences and it's not like a super politically correct no. talk about that sort of show <laughs> it's it's you know actually learning about other be people. yourself and the nuanced version of you whatever that winds up being and then whatever your your curiosity is on top yeah. of that like and to be a good person when you're talking about it yeah and understanding and like that to break down that sort of sense like when you're on an internet comment section and somebody says something you just automatically assume like they're being an asshole about right, it like yeah. they're saying this in the worst tone but to to have you know actual podcasts actual recordings of people discussing this and to hear that like they're not mad they're not yeah. trying to push push this and they're not so like no this is this is the truth and like if you don't believe that you're wrong and you're right. you're an idiot the right way quote yeah. unquote it's there 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 are people out there and hopefully more and more people out there who actually want to they want to collect information make an assessment for themselves you know and have a specific view but they are very willing to have that information replaced if something suggests that, yeah. that the previous one was wrong. And it's just a process of collecting information. The actual, the actual scientific method and what yes. science is supposed to be based around. Yeah, and anytime <laughs> you're just like, I don't want to hear, you know, back to the echo chamber thing, or I don't really want to hear that something I believe and that I hold on to tightly mm-hmm. is is uh, there's evidence against that that suggests yeah. that's wrong. You know, I think I think that's a, that's a feeling that you know you should at all co- at all costs like work to abolish. Abolish, yeah, <laughs> yeah. entirely. Um, so. It's a great place to end it. Yes, it is. You're officially our longest podcast ever. Oh, that's kind of uh, embarrassing. No, it's good. It's a great one. <laughs> two hours and 22 minutes after no, there's oh, a little bit wow. editing, but yeah. Cool. Right. Well, it was good talking to you, Eric. This was fantastic. I, I had a great time talking yeah. to you and a great time uh, listening to your podcast so far. So thank you. Thank you. Till next time.
Thank you all for listening to this episode of Feeding Curiosity. I hope you all learned something or at least got you thinking. If you want to dive in deeper, please head over to feedingcuriosity.net to find related links or just more podcasts and blogs that we've posted there. On top of this, please consider subscribing to our newsletter to stay up to date on the latest happenings on the website. Thank you all for joining me one more time and we'll catch you all in the next episode. 